Welcome to episode number 64 from Panoramic Outdoors. Coming right at you, this is Sheldon Grant. I'm going to be hosting this little intro. It's just Chase and I, and before I get to Chase, I just want to say a big thank you to Piperell Barbecues for supporting our podcast. If you guys are listeners to our podcast, you know that Piperell has been a big supporter for a long time now. And if you want to get into a Piperell Barbecue, go to Piperell.com cooker.com right now they have a thanksgiving sale which is giving you about 10 or 15 percent off on their accessories so you can get in the pit barrel barbecue and get a bunch of accessories for fairly cheap um, but yeah go to that website www.pitbarrelbarbecue.com support our podcast chase what's going on what have you been up to oh man just uh pretty much just dad life and trying to squeeze in hunting when i can to be honest with you um haven't tagged a deer yet and uh just really working hard to try and get one with the bow um i'm hoping once this podcast launches i'll have one down but uh but we'll see what happens <laughs> Here's the hoping yeah yeah exactly um man just waiting for things to fire up with uh the rut kind of thing or the pre-rut um lots of night activity still on the cameras from the bucks and and uh man just hoping to get lucky yeah so i'm thinking about you uh, same thing doing a lot of deer hunting and uh my my old man got a deer in archery season so that was nice got a nice uh four by four buck with his bow and it was actually a fairly cool moment for me in my life to have him at you know like super excited um, he hasn't shot a deer with his bow for probably six or seven years. And it was kind of, I think it might've been the first time that I experienced, uh, an archery harvest with him. So it was one of those things. We did a lot of, uh, trailing. Um, we had to put a lot of thought into what was going on and it was, it was kind of cool. It was a new experience for me. And, um, yeah, we ended up getting, getting his deer and getting it hung up, uh, cutting it up butchering it doing all the the process just me and him so it was a it was a good life life experience for myself and hopefully him um to run right into the what is it uh what's on the grill what's on the turntable and what's on the tap tap. chase oh before we get started anyone that's listening to this intro we've got del barber coming up and it's an unreal podcast. I wasn't in it, but I've listened to it now. Unreal. So stay tuned for that. But Chase, what's on your tap? Go. Well, I recently kind of got introduced to this uh, Vancouver Island Brewing. Um, the local grocer, uh, Lockport Grocery, carries them. And they're, hey, uh, no free ads. <laughs> they're pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty tasty beverage. So, um, man, I'd, I'd recommend that one to anyone. Yeah. I've had a few of them. They're pretty good. I'm actually drinking an 1664 Cronenberg. I've always had a really good taste for these uh, at restaurants. I order them quite a bit uh, with steaks and stuff. They taste really good. So I just seen a six pack in the cooler, so I grabbed one of them. So that's what what's on my tap. Nice. That's uh, a good beer. Turntable. Turntable. Whiskey Myers right now. And uh, I've never heard of that. No. No. You better check them out, man. You're gonna you're missing out. They're uh, they got some great music. They're they're big supporter of like outdoor smokes and stuff like that. And oh yeah, and uh, yeah. So just been cranking that up lately. 
Chase, Chase is like shivering. He's like cold for some reason. Yeah, I'm frozen right now. I don't know why. I got I went hunting this morning. And I got super cold this morning, and I just don't think I've warmed up since. So <laughs> I might be due for a hot shower when I get home. Yeah, um, yeah. On my uh, turntable, I actually found a new album. It's not a new album. It's an old album, but new to me. It's called Del Barber and the Regretskis. And what they do is they kind of do a remake of a whole bunch of hockey songs, which I really enjoy. They got, like, Hockey Night in Canada, Coach's Corner, and, like, I don't know if you guys heard of that, like, Eddie Shack song. There's, like, a bunch of them on there. But, like, go check that out. It's kind of cool on the way I was on my way to do this this uh, intro and everything else, and I found this on iTunes. So oh, That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's cool. It gets, uh, ties in a little bit of, like, the... The history for for Canada and, and uh, hockey and stuff. Yeah. What about the, uh, the, the grill? grill? What do you got going on? <sighs> Me first. Um. Yeah, we went on a good uh, waterfowl shoot. You know, it's one of those crazy things. We found this wicked cornfield. There was, honest to God, one to two thousand ducks in this field in some Canada's first thing in the morning. Um, not first thing, like nine o'clock in the morning. We seen them in there, and. So we kind of thought about it. We're like, oh, I should go back in the morning. I should go back there for the afternoon. We decided to go back in the afternoon, set up, and we shot a bunch of Canada's and one duck. So out of that duck, I I took it apart and got the legs and the breast for one meal, and I cooked them up. What I did, though, is I, I put a lot of, quite a bit of salt and sugar on it uh, first thing in the morning. And then covered it in paper towel and put it in the fridge. And it probably sat in there for probably six hours. And then took it out and just threw it in the frying pan and, and cooked it up. And there was very to no wild taste in it. And I cooked it medium rare. Super good. Um, good texture. And, yeah, I would highly suggest doing that. And especially if you, and then if you want some flavor, like dip it in barbecue or HP sauce or whatever. But just the way I cooked it with some sh- uh, sugar and salt unbelievable so that's pretty awesome man i was uh lucky enough to acquire a piece of backstrap that i did up in the old cast iron and finished in the oven and uh buddy pair that up with a with a good old baked potato loaded with sour cream and butter that's uh that is a solid option right there i love that stuff comfort food yeah definitely but yeah getting into this podcast um thanks a lot to everyone that's been listening and another big shout out that i have to do is cowboys caviar cowboys caviar and what they are is they're a beef jerky company out of saskatchewan they're supporting our podcast for november um they've got five different types of beef jerky that you can get cowboy candy original teriyaki hot and sweet and peppered and they got two different sizes they've got an 80 gram bag or 170 gram bag and this stuff is locally sourced. I mean, they get all their cattle from Western Canada for their beef jerky. Um, support local. I mean, it is Canadian, and that's that's what we got to do. And the best thing about it is that they have, like, a, a fundraiser part of their business. So if you're looking to make some money, if it's uh, fundraising for your church, your hockey group, um, outdoor community, or whatever it may be, They've got a program set up so that you can you can purchase some beef jerky and then sell it and make some profit on it. Um, it's forty two percent, so forty two 
percent profit on their beef jerky and you can make some money that way for your fundraising events that's awesome man i think it should be called cowboy crack because that stuff <laughs> man when you crack a bag you better get in there quick because it doesn't last long no it's I some know. of the best tasting stuff i've ever had by far and that's the greatest thing about it is like a lot of beef jerky it's like the the chewy jerky that the traditional jerky and this is like almost like a almost like a pepperette it's like a soft chew jerky and it's really really good i i really like it to be yeah. honest with you no 10 out of 10 man like the first bite i had i was just like oh my god where have you been all my life and it's there's a lot of local retailers that that are carrying it but uh i mean also check out their website maybe get an order from the website <laughs> and whoever it was from that order from the pod if it was from our from our podcast uh tag us let us know or inbox us because uh it was funny as soon as we mentioned them um we got kind of a little report that they had an order from the paw which they've never had before no so i was like oh cool. could have been from us like yeah. who knows but uh dell barber coming right down the pipe uh we're not going to keep this intro too long because i think dell's got a lot to say and you guys have a lot to talk about so yeah strap in folks dell one of our favorite guests and uh just awesome dude have a listen fire it up we were hunting them a couple weekends ago and they are spooky motherfuckers mm-hmm. like they just i got a good got a good gross story for you though do you yeah nice and you guys have been hunting with dogs quite a bit lately so you're gonna like this one <laughs> maybe i already told this this just happened a couple weeks ago but um so i'm heading up to the ducks to hunt with my sister's new partner brent he's from Verdon. He's excellent, excellent guy and likes to hunt. And so I'm like, his two dogs are there and my sister's dog's there. I'm like, maybe I won't bring my dog. Like Fisher's my dog's name. Ah, but we're going grouse hunting and I usually get a few more birds if Fisher's like into it and behaving. If he's not, then I'm just pissed at him because he's walking too far ahead. What kind of dogs are we talking about? Mine's just a golden retriever, but yeah. he, he loves grouse. Like he has like a taste for them. Interesting. And so he flushes a lot of birds and so like... If you can keep him close, yeah, he'll flush really well, and then you can like manage to get a crack at one in the air, or at least see it land, and you're like, okay, we can go get this thing. Yeah, I'm talking to the dog outside, and I'm packing up the truck. I'm like, Fisher, I think I'm gonna leave you home. Like, there's t- it's too much going on. I don't want to worry about you. I'm just gonna go for a walk with Brent. He fucks off behind my garage. Five minutes later, comes back. What's in his mouth? <laughs> no way. A rough gross. <laughs> <laughs> like. There's no way he's not coming along. That. <laughs> he just signed his contract. So eh? I think what happened was he he flushed one, just randomly. Yeah, and then it smoked the the side of a shed. <laughs> like because I thought I heard a thump too. Okay. So, but it was just like this, like serendipitous. Like I don't believe in like the like like I don't, what does Tony Peterson always say? Uh, I don't want to get too. Uh, it's not hippie, but it's what I would call hippie. <laughs> Like, too, like, spacey spiritually. Like, I don't really think that's anything that's happening with Fisher. That was just, like, a really beautiful moment of serendipity where I was, like, talking about taking him grouse hunting, and he was like, okay, I'll prove to you I can I can yeah. be good. <laughs> that, that was his ace in the hole, man. He's yeah. been waiting yeah. to yeah. pull he just, that one. That thing is, like, four years old. Had <laughs> yeah. it in a little freezer. Yeah, I, I don't know how you say no to a dog after that. No, he what? came for sure, and then we got approximately zero gross. <laughs> it was <laughs> like one of those days where you go out, and it's like the morning was perfect, 
headed up to camp. It was like sunny. They're, they're going to be on like eating gravel and stuff. Yeah. And then the wind just came over and just went. And there's like, I'm not going to get it. I, I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't successfully shoot grouse when it's windy like that. It was windy as hell the other weekend when I was out with Crawford and we were lucky to flush a couple covies of uh, Sharptail. We were lucky. But that's because we had like well-trained gun dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Running point for us. That's so cool. Yeah. And yeah, it is super cool to watch those dogs work because I've never, I've never hunted over upland dogs before much at all. And to see, it's just a completely different style of, because you're like i i love a yellow lab like just as much if not more than the next guy but so much more like of an active hunting style that these these dogs are actually hunting for you as opposed to yeah just, you're you're just like are you sitting back and watching them you're basically if you're doing it right or at least, at least the way crawford does it you're walking as fast as you can to to keep up with these dogs basically that's why that guy's so skinny oh man <laughs> he puts on miles. Crawford, yeah. Wear good footwear and wear like right. some, some pants with a little bit of stretch in them as well. He's, he's a perfect dude for it. He's got big energy. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. See him keeping up to those Before dogs. I forget, have you guys ever heard or met Cody Denbo? Not myself, no. Do you know Cody? Sounds familiar. So but... he's out in Oak Lake. Okay. So I brought my, my, he- my deer head to him because I was like... I don't know how to preserve velvet. He's a taxidermist. He's also a hunter. He might have the Manitoba bow record. No way. He's like a 40-year-old dude. Like the nicest guy ever. He also has more sheds than anyone I've ever met. (laughs) And I meet a lot of really strange people in like very strange places. (laughs) He has like 200-inch sheds from Manitoba. Like lots. And he's I think he's a greater operator. And he, he, he doesn't collect them all himself he, he shed hunts a lot but he also just sees a shed somewhere and goes up to the person and is like can i have that mm-hmm. his whole basement is like full shoulder mounts of giants that he shot and like i've never met anybody like this like i didn't know there were deer this big in manitoba like this many for one person to shoot like it was like it made everything i've shot look like stupidly small mm-hmm yeah, I, I've I've met maybe not to that extent, but it, I've I've met a fellow or two who has had that kind of room that puts you to like, <laughs> oh, what I mean, I and he's been hunting life? the same two sections of land his whole life. Oh, that's crazy! And so he just he has a totally totally dialed in, and there are also like lots of big deer there, and it's been managed forever. Yeah, for a big deer. Like oh, that's interesting. So there's just like a management thing happening there, like a microcosmic management thing. And then just this pursuit of like obsession about big bucks. Like I'm not that obsessed with them, but once you go down there and you see them, you're like, that can happen <laughs> here. <laughs> like I'm like, oh, in Iowa, sure, or yeah. like whatever. What universe are you hunting in, right? No, exactly. <laughs> That's how I felt. I'm like, oh, I was like, look at my sweet buck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he was like, he was so cool. He was like, this buck's oh, like he was so into it. He just loves deer. Mm-hmm. Just like. See, when you said greater operator, I thought, because I've met a greater operator too in my day, and I'm, I've always noticed that they, they have a sweet gig in some ways because they're scouting all the time. Totally. <laughs> he, know. Shot, he shot that 100, it's 100 and just shy of 190 inch velvet buck 
with his bow two years ago. It's like insane. Wow. It's huge. He, I got, I came into his house and uh, so his like living room's got all these shoulder mounts. I'm like, this is nuts. And he's this, the one that I had heard about that I got sent pictures of the night he shot it because like my sister's boyfriend's from Verdon. So like they know each other and they, he does all Brent's taxidermy. And uh, yeah, it's like, wow, that's it. He's like, oh, you should, you, maybe you should check out, come downstairs. And I'm like, okay. And was like, no <laughs> it was like it just like whoa it's like okay i don't i know don't know what i'm doing that's good i need to know that and that concludes this episode of panorama <laughs> we'll be talking to dell's taxidermist <laughs> no i was like maybe they sh- i don't know like i also like there's some hunters that are really good but they're not they don't know how to like describe what they do or why it's like they're just so like they've been doing this forever um it's common sense to them in some ways yeah and that's just and he was able to describe like what he does in the rut because i was talking to him about how i really kind of hate rut hunting right is it too unpredictable for you or what's the... that's how it feels yeah and like i've had success rut hunting but i've also just been like last week before the rut i saw deer all the time and now i'm seeing no deer and then at 10 30 there's a giant buck yeah oh yeah this is something i'm like curveball i don't like it <laughs> like there's no i don't feel like i'm doing anything to like produce results yeah i've been i've been keeping a close eye on some of our cams this year and i've had some similar instances where you're like okay i know there's a buck around here a good buck and he's like on this cam like every seven days he's over here once in a while and then boom here he is at noon like what are you doing over here at noon yeah <laughs> yeah i don't like that yeah i mean it's not even rut yet though no Exactly. But there's funky stuff starts happening. Like, I don't know. So last time we had you on the show, you were chatting about your trials and endeavor to to get a whitetail with your bow. Yes. It was it was a bit of a sad story at that point in time. Or maybe not a sad story, but like there was there was some uh challenges. Yeah, I mean like probably like I would hope. I mean, maybe I just wi- I just I don't want people to fail, you know, <laughs> but, but I do like, I felt like there was an, there was a chance that like, maybe this is just not possible for me. <laughs> you know, like it was yeah. at that point where I was like, I'm putting a large section of my life into this thing. And most things that I put that much energy into have garnered some success or some like, uh, steps forward into, into like knowledge, uh, expertise of some kind after mm-hmm. that much time and that much practice and then no no like real results and then it sort of affects some of your relationships like you know <laughs> like with your friends with your partner do i do i keep doing this or like should i just like become a, a hunter who just can go out for two weeks and just harvest something and it just starts making you ask bigger questions about why you're out there in the first place what's the point of hunting like if it's just for meat then why don't i just go out and rat hunt with a rifle mm-hmm. or or like muzzleloader hunt in the pre-rut where i seem to like get more encounters with with deer that i'm interested in and, and so like oh i don't know there's probably a lot of people out there who who like have to consider why they're doing this sometimes and and fight with themselves and i think that's part of hunting that i'm really learning to love Right. So kind of the relational negotiation. <laughs> Do you have any, not even that, just like 
the the internal battle of like what I thought I was here to do is not really the reason that I keep coming to this. And why do I keep coming to this? Why is this important to me? And having to figure out how to describe that to your family because you're spending all of your time away from them doing it. Like it's a it's a pretty sometimes it feels narcissistic. Mm. Like sometimes it feels like you're out there for yourself because it's like this is good for my mental health and then you can justify it with like well, I'm going to bring meat home. Well that's a bunch of <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or tree hunting's kind of like a uh unique animal or u- unique form in some ways. It takes that next level of dedication. And I'm saying that as someone who has not harvested something with their bow yet to yeah. myself, right? So yeah. it's one of the like that's one of the most exhausting aspects of hunting for me is just coming to terms, especially when you've been unsuccessful for a while. And things have been coming to light for me quite hard this year because I'm like I hadn't really thought about it too much for the last few years because my last big kill with the bow was uh that moose about five years ago or six years ago, I think. Just popped up on my Facebook feed. I think it was six years ago now. Was that long ago? I think so. I don't agree with that. Might have been five. It was definitely more than four. <laughs> You're a dad now, man. Time just dis- it disappears. Yeah. <laughs> You're so. gonna be four inches shorter in like <laughs> next month. It- <laughs> oh my hair will be gone. Yeah. So coming out of L camp unsuccessful was just oh. like Again, just like how close? Out. How close were you? Like closest, so close. I I don't want to give away the secrets on this, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was insane. Um, and that, I got. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about that off the air. And but, yeah, VIP. And, and uh, so now I'm deer hunting, and we're we got some great spots to deer hunt, and and uh, so now. I'm fully committed to like plowing a doe because I'm like, I got to get some meat in the freezer here. Yeah. And there's a doe tag in the spot that we're, uh, we're hunting by our buddy yeah. Chris is there. And I got this doe walk out. Nice doe. At like 20 yards kind of thing. Maybe like 15, but I could hear like two more deer behind her. And I was like, ah, I might wait around and see what those are. And they walk out and they're like two, like year and a half, two and a half year old does kind of thing. And by the time they wheel in, the other doe's gone. And I'm just kind of like, man, mess that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm starting to feel the pressure now. And it, it's affecting me in much different ways. It's much harder to come home and say like, oh, how'd it go? Oh, you know, I saw saw a doe. So it was kind of a good day. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't fly so much anymore when kind of at the peak of... Uh, I'm needed around the household a little bit more than I used to be, let's sure. just say. Well, and your time away is like a little more precious, and, and so there's like more weight. Yeah. Like I got a two-year-old, and I, I get it, and I want to be home. Like, I love her. I love hanging out with her, uh, but I also like want her to have it. Like, I want to hunt, and I want her to know her dad hunts and loves hunting. And yeah. Like. So, how do you, how do you, I, I really want to get your perspective on this, because, um, on the podcast we had with Tony Peterson, he kind of dove into it a bit, but I wish I would have dug a little deeper. And I think, I feel like you're a perfect candidate for this because you're a music man. You spend a great amount of your time making a uh, living on the road. Mm-hmm. Plus you're uh, passionate about the outdoors, which are, I mean, 
I don't spend time making music on the road, but I certainly spend a lot of time outdoors. So how do you, what's your like justification there? You're kind of getting into it a little bit, but like as far as like the family networking comes into play and like, how do you, are you talking about balance? Yeah. Balance that and just justify it to yourself when you're out. Cause this I, is, this is what I bonded over Tony. Like when I originally like struck up a friendship with Tony, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't like, I wasn't barking at him for like advice about how to hunt. Like he, he, he writes about all that stuff. I can figure that stuff out from him. And I think some of the advice is excellent, but I was like, I recognized how hard his life would be, uh, because it was similar to mine as a musician, like trying to make the thing that you love a job. It's, it's, it always seems like the most beautiful possibility you know it's like people out there are like man i wish i could just hunt every day until it's like yeah if you could hunt every day because you were just independently wealthy that might be fun but if if it became like a grind like doing the thing that you love won't be awesome every night and and that's the hardest part about being a musician is like when the shows are really good it's easy you can call home and it's like a celebration and everyone's in your corner but when you've been away a few too many days too long and you're not bringing home the money you thought you were going to bring home and you're not like you know even like it doesn't even look like things are going to get better uh or tony's experienced those emotions like you know and and in his case too it's a lot of like just like grinding it out in the back like sleeping in the back of a truck on public land and, and then like going out and hunting and failing and it's like dude we do that on stage all the time like one i really feel like you get like one out of ten shows you're like that was it people got it that was exactly what we do you could it's reflected in how much stuff they buy like Mm -hmm. and then some nights you're just like someone in the band slightly off or like and i think there's a lot of uh like symbiotic things happening when you go and sit in a tree or like even you know people who are more aggressive than that hunting like there is just so many things out of your control and that's what really pulls me into that lifestyle. Like I don't get to control a deer. I have to realize that I'm going to fail a lot in order to have some success. And I don't know. So to answer your question, to come back on like how, how I can sort of balance both of those things is like, A, I have like a very supportive partner who like grew up with hunters in her family who she wants me to be outside. She recognizes that it makes me a better husband. And for that to be true, I actually have to be better if I, when I get to go outside. And I, I know that when I spend time hunting, I come home and I feel like I have a little more capacity mm-hmm. for doing the things that she doesn't want to do or no one wants to do in the house. Mm-hmm. Like the laundry builds up, the dish pile builds up. There's in our case right now, uh, another, I don't know, 40 full grocery bags of tomatoes that I need to process <laughs> in the freezer. I know that struggle. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that this stuff needs to happen and I'm going to make it happen. And so like you really, you can't just come home and be like less decent. It has to like, it has to be that thing that allows you to, to, to fuel your home life. At least that's what's worked for me. Yeah. Um, And like right now, for instance, I just came home from a trip. It's like trip I've been planning for a long time and I planned it around a show I was supposed to have in Winnipeg and then the show got postponed but I was like well I'm still going on this hunting trip mm-hmm. like I I've, I've, I can't let my buddy down and, and she was like of course 
she got it. But then when I've been away, I, you know, there I can feel tension. Yeah, feel the pull, right? You just know that feeling of like the texts, they're not coming back as quick as usual. You know, <laughs> there's like really short answers to questions. There's like no questions about how my sit went. There's like no interest <laughs> in that at all. It's just like she's focused on just like dealing with the kid, going to work. And she's like, to hell with this guy. He doesn't care about me. And that's how she feels like. And sometimes there's she feels some pity about it. And that's like, I totally understand that. And like, I want more than anything for her to have that in her, like this thing in her life, like whatever that thing is for her. Mm-hmm. And part of this is that is jealousy that she doesn't have this, this like thing that, that she obsesses over. Like she sees me reading articles before I go to bed uh, about white-tailed deer habitat like managing elk habitat in 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 canada and like the popular like all these like specific things she just like she recognizes that this obsession is like is a driving force in my creative my creative spirit and and so i get to make a side argument about how it influences my other job Mm -hmm. which some days is true and some days is bullshit (laughs) you know like like we all justify our actions with you know with with arguments that sometimes hold water sometimes our cups have giant holes in them but but yeah so like i really want to be and i want my daughter to enjoy the outdoors i don't want to force her into it um but if i don't actually enjoy it then she won't Mm -hmm. and the the truth is that like it's obvious that this is what i want to do because like i will do anything to make that happen yeah you know I, i think on your argument point there about whether or not your cup holds water I think is it's a good point to make, but I think at the same time, every time you come to the table with something, it's not always going to be holding water. Whether of course, it's, whether it's yeah something great or not, but I think as long as most of the time you're holding water there, then it's well, something even productive like to even come just out like of. having a just a cup that leaks a little bit, like <laughs> it's like it's not like the art. It's not like the cup. This analogy does work for me well. And some people are going to be rolling their eyes, you know, but that's okay. Um, sometimes, you know, you, your boat can be sinking a little bit as you go across, as long as you make it across. I had that experience today, so it's pretty <laughs> real. <laughs> it, it's funny you mentioned, Dell, that um, like your your partner recognizes in you that you have this passion or that she's observing you like do these actions like reading the articles and studying elk habitat what yeah whatever the examples of anyone wants to yeah yeah and um i think for me like i'm in an interesting position where like carly has hunted she does hunt she enjoys hunting and has had success hunting um but she flat out said to me like i i wish i had your passions like and specifically like hunting and fishing obviously being one of them she fishes a lot too um but i think like the thing that has permitted me i shouldn't say permitted but like going into making a family she knew that there were going to be times where i just needed to get away either my eyeballs get way too wide at home and she shoes me at the door or i get a call from chase in elk camp saying he just had an amazing encounter and like he knows that there's bulls around here and then now i'm vibrating walking around the house for the next 25 minutes and she just looks at me and says you're going elk hunting this weekend aren't you 
And like I I knew I was smart enough not to ask the question because it, there's no way. Yeah. It it at that point she had been so supportive of me getting outside that I I could not in good faith. But when she laid it out there for me, like I just had to like <laughs> it's unbelievable like the the just the way that is. But brings me back that maybe we need to be like driving some sort of awareness campaign for non-hunters out there what it's like to uh to be in this situation here that it's you know if you're passionate about it it's going to take time it's going to take money it's not going to make sense necessarily that the uh... and you're going to and you're also just like not going to succeed like you're you're not even not even going to be able to realize what goals you should have at first like that was a big learning curve for me it's just like figuring out goals like governing goals like just having realistic expectations all the time it's not easy to figure out what they should be or ought ought to be and for anyone who's like starting out especially if you're a little like if you're older like i like i'm i'm like jealous actually like to get to have some of those feelings again yeah i mean tony actually disagrees with me on that point we we had an argument about this a little bit and he was just like every time is like it doesn't get old, Dell. Like and that guy <laughs> shot like just like a dozen deer a season for the last twenty years or whatever, you know, and like with his bow. And I'm like off I'm off I'm like I'm I'm high on number one, like my first archery buck and I'm like, Man, I'm never gonna get to live that again. He's like You're wrong. <laughs> it's awesome every time. I'm like, Okay. Man, if Tony's saying that I I, I, I think he can uh believe that. That, that, that cup holds water? Yeah, I think so. That dude is uh, not afraid to speak the truth. And I think he's a great advocate for just bringing out the truth in the sometimes like shadowed hunting world of the great successes everybody has. And oftentimes, you know, you only see a fraction of, of what's, what actually goes down in the world, right? There, There is something about failing or suffering that is entirely tied up with hunting and like i had my first really really cold sit of the year and like you know if someone sat in a tree stand where they sit so long they they actually you actually feel ill like you feel you start to get green like i just wasn't dressed appropriately it was six below and i was wasn't ready for it and like avoiding suffering in life doesn't provide you with happiness necessarily like there are some things that we have to 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 suffer that makes us better people and it makes us like interesting and you know we have to earn things and if everything was a was just easy if you could just like if i could just go and shoot a hundred a 200 inch buck it wouldn't mean anything to me you know it's just if i had the money and i could go to texas at giant buck ranch and shoot something it would not mean anything to me there's something to be said for enduring man and just like getting that suffering in and and like coming out on top now there must be a point where you become insane (laughs) right where like you have to realize you're doing something wrong if if success can ever happen like if you're like i'm gonna go and hunt unicorns in the duck mountains well there are no unicorns right or like whatever whatever that thing is like there there has to be like there can be a moment where the pursuit of of the thing uh can probably cause negative effects on your life and to like real like try to figure out how to check yourself on that front it's, mm-hmm. you know I think, I, we've probably all tasted sort of the edge of that 
I think I think the the like the risk involved, not so much the risk, but like the the chance of success in hunting is what what always like keeps me coming back is that that little bit of chance and and like you just mentioned that you might not ever feel like you did when you shot that archery buck and and for me when i'm thinking about that i'm like man i haven't like killed anything for a long time with the bow and not to say with the rifle it's been easy like it's a lot easier for me to kill something with the rifle for sure but the journey that i've had with with the bow now has been like kind of that i feel like i've been doing everything right and i feel like i've been putting in some good time especially in the elk woods and it's just like i think when that all comes together that'll be just an ultimate just high pretty much you can call it right and i think like for you like if if you get on like a journey like that again where you're chasing after something or you're you're on a buck or maybe you haven't killed a buck for a couple of years with your bow i mean that's I, entirely I think, possible I like think, i i need to admit that like this is not going to happen every year yeah like i'm not going to kill a pope and young buck every year i i mean how how could i like i, I don't know like you could you, you, <laughs> i would love it if it happened but like to be a person that would expect that i don't think it's going to make me a better hunter a and b i don't think it's going to give me pleasure to mm-hmm. like put that expectation on myself i want to put myself in a position where i'm going to get a chance to shoot another uh, buck with my bow i'm going to do everything i can and luckily this year i had the luxury of not having a job because all my tours got canceled and so I basically just scouted my ass off all summer, like all summer, almost every night I was out classing deer. I was, and I was like, oh yeah, this is why this works. Like I know where, I know where like four, like big deer are that are out in the daylight every night. Like they're out there every night, same place. Like how hard is this going to be? Well, it, it turns out that it's like, it's going to be like some luck's going to be involved, but <laughs> especially for a guy like me it's like sometimes i sound like an elephant you know walking around and i'm like trying to be quiet and all these things i'm like trying to be i'm trying to do everything i can to to succeed but like i make mistakes and the better i get at this the more i recognize the mistakes i make and that's part of like growth as a human like in general it's like if hunting teaches a person that then like what better argument is there for hunting for me it's like i think it can make people a better people um the lessons in the woods can be pretty stark at times there's not a lot of ways to sugarcoat it sometimes um if you screw up (laughs) and you're by yourself it's pretty apparent (laughs) who's at fault in that equation there's no there's no blaming anybody (laughs) and that's why that's a huge reason why i'm just so drawn to it is like i the buck stops with me like it it entirely is this year it did like maybe other years not so many bucks stopped that's right (laughs) Yeah, but so cats out of the bag. You you got a a pope and younger this year. Well, yeah, I think so. I I mean, like, I think it's like I don't know what it, what a pope and young is. Like, it was big. Like, like what, what's a pope and young? It's not it's not that big of a buck actually. But I, like, I think it's a one twenty. Yeah, that this is like rough measure, just under one fifty. It's a big it's a big buck. It's not like there is way bigger bucks out there, and a lot of people listening have shot them. But for me, like. A 145 or a 148, whatever it ends up being, is like, it's a really, really big deal. And it had velvet. Yeah, it was in full velvet. It was like day three of the archery season. Uh, I had been sitting without a bow 
for a week before. <laughs> um, not 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 in this particular location, but like watching this deer come out and like because I just failed so many times. Um, I just really thought I had a chance at this particular deer, and I wasn't hunting. This wasn't actually the the deer that was on the top of my list. Mm. There was a, a a six by six, a really big six by six, in a very like in the prettiest location where I live in the parkland in the bottom of the Shell Valley that was like if I can kill a deer here if I can kill this deer or the guy that was with him which was big he was a big five by five like that would have been great um and he was out every morning in the light and I was like every like there's a lot of information bow hunters like don't sit the mornings early season you're gonna mess up bedding areas or whatever and I was like I'm going to just have to make these mistakes myself because, like, he's out in daylight. I'm going to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that morning, the morning I shot that, shot my, my 2020 buck, uh, I was out in the valley, perfect wind, get in the stand two hours before daylight. The nice part about morning hunting with a family is that now that she's, my daughter's two, is that they're sleeping. They don't even realize I'm gone in the morning. Yeah. Like, mornings are pretty clutch for a dad. Because you can get away with, you can be gone as long as you want, really, as long as you're back by 9.30 or 10 or whatever. And, you know, the things, things are just ramping up for the day at that point. Things, you haven't had this intense day. No. And now you're skipping bedtime okay. to go hunting. Good luck with bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're like, that's sort of like the morning is sort of brilliant that way because you might be really tired because you got up at four or whatever, but. You can you can push through that and help with bedtime because you mm-hmm. got to put that morning in. Um, I can remember too. We were talking uh, you and I over the text just about how to hunt morning bucks, and I could feel your energy coming through the old SMS just rattling, yeah. just totally rattling electricity. Just like, <laughs> what do I do? How am I going to do this? Like everyone I know who hunts, just like, please, just tell me the secret. I need the secret to succeed here. <laughs> like I've done the scouting. I know where they are. Like I'm on them. They're out in the day. I'm I'm like, I have trees prepped. I'm going to hang and hunt these bucks and they're not going to know I'm there. I'm only going to get in there in the wind. I'm going to get in there before they move. Like they're not moving in this two hour section. And I'm going to be there then and set up and they're not going to hear me. So I get there and I set up on this six by six and I'm like, he's going to come out and I'm going to shoot him. Like this is going to happen. And, and I hear this noise. And it's this crazy noise. And I'm like, it's a black bear. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm, there's a couple oak trees that are dropping. And I'm like, the deer, I'm getting deer on cameras hitting these these acorns. And who else likes acorns is black bears. And this is two hours before. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm like, hey, I've had some bear encounters in my life that haven't been uh, all that inspiring. I've had a few, f- one friend uh, get attacked and another acquaintance tell me a pretty bad black bear attack story and so i'm like i'm like really respectful of bears now in my younger days i wasn't but i'm like very respectful of predatory black bears and uh and so like i usually bring a can of bear spray so i look for it in my pack and obviously forgot it in the truck (laughs) and so i'm like okay i got a bow like i got something and uh but i was like my hunt's over you know and i hear this thing and it sounds like it's just climbing up oak trees like 20 yards away you know and then i hear this thing run towards me and i'm like what is that and then i see giant antlers and it's a like giant bull elk right under my stand like like second day of this of the bow season in the morning or third day of the bow season and it's like i'm looking at this giant bull 
and he just blasts past me and then turns around at 30 yards and just looks at me. He just knew I was there the whole time. He was just like making a scrape and it was just so loud. That's wild. And I like, I never experienced like a, a bull that close. Like I've seen them, my archery hunt or uh, rifle hunted elk and failed, but I like, I had a lot of encounters and I saw a lot of them, but that experience was the best part of my hunting season so far. Like no question. Just, just, getting a chance to like listen to that puppy breathe it was incredible and then that night i went and shot this really big whitetail buck and it was like this paled in comparison like the <laughs> amount the amount of time that i had to like prepare myself and like my heart rate like when this big buck came out it just came out and i just pulled up my bow and he walked under me and i stopped him i honked at him and shot and that was it and it was like i felt like my heart sink when i killed him Cause I was like, it's over. That's it. <laughs> and it was like, I just want to go back to this morning. And it was a really weird feeling um, because it was too easy. And as much time as we spend failing, like I really think, and maybe, maybe we're just losers who just need meaning in our lives. And, and so we find something we can fail at to develop meaning. But, but I do think there's something more happening uh, when you shoot, your elk with with your bow it's it's going to be it's going to be significant it's going to be a, a anchor in your life that that you you're never going to let go of Dell, i want to tell you a quick little story here <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's it's funny that that you mentioned like just that that feeling of like not not so much that like completion after you you killed that buck but just the the like it's over sensation you know what i mean which yeah. is like it's a really confusing thing sometimes because sometimes you're like all right that's it kind of yeah like what what next and you're already thinking so the funny parts of this story that I've, I've still not been successful after i've had that moment but the first year we we're elk hunting and i jumped a cow on the trail and uh, the elk tag for archery elk is any any elk yeah yeah so yeah. i was like all right i don't take this opportunity for and sure at 25 yards there and i'm sure anyone who listens to the podcast had has heard this story yeah i missed the elk i hit a tree right but in the moments where i drew back there things were just perfect and the one thing that went through my mind was like this is how my elk season is going to end this is it i was like am i going to soak this up or what's like what what's going to happen next and i just let the arrow fly and i missed and it's still been happening for <laughs> for four years. And you know, and you might that might that same feeling of of anti climax might hit you on some level when you make that happen. But the more I've been thinking about this this deer, the more I'm like, I'm I'm. There's more flavors. There's more like there's a richness to the amount of time I've put in with my bow. The amount of annoying practice I've done at home. Like I built like a release trainer. And so we're like watching Netflix and I'm just like, click, click. And Halen's like, okay. My wife's name's Halen. Can you just take a break? <laughs> you know, just like all this stuff, just like trying to like, just like, I'm going to get, if I get an opportunity and I screw it up, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to sleep for like months, you know? So I was like, okay. Um, and of course, when I, when I let go of that arrow, all I could think was I missed. I don't know what an arrow sounds like going through an animal. Like, it was my first time. It sounded like I hit a tree. Like, it sounded exactly like an arrow. I've hit lots of trees with my arrows. <laughs> but, like, uh, 
And then I got down from the stand and, and I saw the arrow in front of a tree and I was like, oh, okay. And then I looked at the arrow and it was pouring rain at the time, but there was blood on it. And I was like, did I hit the deer? <laughs> you know, it was like, I was shocked. <laughs> and then I walked to the truck because I was like, okay, I'm going to give it an hour like everyone says to do. I just like, there's nothing I wanted more than to just go and see if it was dead. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, I'm going to go call a friend. And on my walk to the truck... I bumped like eight deer and I bumped a really big buck and it looked like it was limping. And I was like, I wounded him. And then I was like, how far was that shot? Like I ranged it, but maybe he walked like another two steps. Maybe it was 25 yards and not 26. Or maybe that was enough to make me, maybe, maybe he walked when I, when I shot, maybe I hit him too far back. And it was like raining in dusk. And I was like, there's a limping buck out there that I wounded and I felt like the biggest loser in the world. And I went to my truck and like cried to be honest. And I was like, I, I failed, you know? And then my, my local hunting buddy there, he's this old guy from Alberta. He came and we we're like, Kate, we're going to go back and, and look for blood. And I was like, cause you hit the thing. And was there a single piece of blood after it was pouring rain? No, no, not, not a drop that was visible. Full headlamps, no blood. That's a tough, yeah, tough call, especially right after your arrow of the deer. You're like, how do you weigh that out? And which way do you go with it? Right? So the, the the reality was that like there was this like bedding area in this in this sort of slough, where, like a lot. I had figured out a lot of deer were bedding in this slough, and and there was another bedding area where I was getting bucks consistently coming out, but it was very small. And so. I reasoned that there's no way he was going to run into that and bed down if he was wounded because it was too small. Like it was like 20 yards of bedding, but they loved it in there. And, and so I was just like, I was basically between this big bedding area where they all, where I also was seeing them go in and then this small bedding area. And they, so I was trying to position myself that they could come out and cross this little area or they could come out in front of the stand this way. And there behind me was a pea field and we were just hammering peas, right? So I was like, okay, I'll go check the local area with him because I, cause like I heard them all run because he was with another decent buck and then a doe was, was like ahead of them and they all ran behind me when I shot the deer. And we looked for 10 minutes and Steve was like, you're going to have to come back tomorrow and go to that swamp where, and see if you can find him and just like, just like plow this quarter and just, you might only get antlers. And I was like, I felt like the biggest loser. Right, yeah. and then I just walked around a corner, and he'd only gone thirty yards, and he died. That night, you found him. Yeah, no way. Yeah, man, he was dead. He he ran thirty-five yards. <laughs> Didn't go thirty. Didn't no go double 30. lung, like bled out. Like I never opened a. I don't know how. Like this is an outdoor co- podcast. Like we we do we hunt things and we kill things and butcher them, and and so if anyone like is grossed out by this, but like sometimes when you open up a body cavity. When you're when you're field when you're gutting a deer, uh, there can be a lot of blood come out. I opened this thing up and there was no blood, just emptied right out. Yeah, it was like like giant hole on both sides, like pass through shot. Like it 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 lost so much blood it couldn't go anywhere. That must have been a good sweet moment though for you. That for the oh emotions. dude, I like this old guy. He's like not. He's like very like uh, he's not. Uh, very open with his emotions let's say i picked him up off the ground i hugged him i picked him up <laughs> off the ground i started singing i shouted at the top of my lungs like i was like i was ecstatic like i couldn't believe that 
because I thought I was in for like a first bow hunting epic failure, which a lot of bow hunters go through, like trying to trying to track animals. Like this is part of archery hunting that that I will have to come to terms with someday if I keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the writings on the wall. Like the best archery hunters in the world, this happens to them. The Tony Petersons, like the Kenyans, they they're not going to talk about it publicly all the time, and maybe they should. But there's going to be times when you're not going to be able to find the thing that you shot and you got to take responsibility for that. And it sucks. Mm-hmm. And that's part of hunting. And everybody says, oh, you just got to make a better shot. Well, it's like there's a lot of variables. Like you, everyone out there is, if you're an archery hunter, if you're interested in archery, you've watched deer, like slow motion videos of them ducking strings. Hell yeah, man. It's nuts. And you know what? The Like the thing is, you know, an archery hunter is not going to, launch that arrow unless he feels everything's 100 percent there right there's no way so i remember chase a mutual friend of ours this fall was showing us a video of his bow kill and that deer had jumped the string before like the arrow was barely out of the bow and the deer had jumped the string I don't get it. Like the, uh, how does the speed of sound even travel that quick? You know, like that arrow's flying at what? How like three hundred FPS or something like mm-hmm. that? Yeah, and or or faster. Yeah, yeah. And this this buck had already dropped six inches. Yeah. But our buddy, he's hunted enough there. He he knew. He said, "Oh yeah, it, it was, He was at thirty, so I uh, I put my twenty five pin on him or something dead on. This is um, something that I've been I've been reading about is that 30 yard shot on a whitetail is really tough like 30 yards you're almost at that point i'm i'm not i'm not personally gonna pull the trigger past 30 um on a whitetail i just i want to have i want to be super confident when i when i do it i want to be like i want to have that like edge i don't want to be doubting myself Uh, i've been there with a rifle and it's not gone well when i've pulled the trigger doubting myself and so like but i've heard that like the amount the ability for them to duck the string like between 25 to 30 is like significant but over 30 it becomes less significant because it's quieter hmm. they're far enough away i don't know have you I read over that read that i've never heard that not not to say it's not true no yeah but, but yeah that's interesting like intuitively it, it doesn't sound off yeah which is because you think then at like you know you're talking that 50 range that that thwack from your bow might have diffused far enough that they're not quite sure mm-hmm. where it's coming from so they don't instantly like and yeah and it's not yeah it's yeah but like tony <laughs> but like tony would like he would probably i mean i don't know i don't want to speak for him but like on a mule deer he'd probably pull the trigger at a bigger range on the ground than he would a whitetail like he says he won't pull a trigger on a at 40 yards and he's a great shot mm-hmm. and it's he just has he's had too many Bad things happen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting coming from a fellow like that that just like literally shoots twelve deer a year with his bow. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, like I don't know. You hear him talk about these like these perfectly placed shots that he's made, and still the thing isn't dying on the spot. Like it's archery. It's it's primitive. Even even with all the cams and technology and speed, or if you go with like a heavier front of center setup, these like there is there's a possibility of failure and again that's like part of the reason that is so attractive to me like it's it's so attractive to me because i don't get to control all the variables it's not safe it's not like perfect 
it's not going to go down the way you expect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I find it like just so beautiful because of that. Like, like falling in love with somebody. Like when you fall in love with somebody, and you and you start seeing things in them that you never thought would be attractive to you. It's like that's like hunting for me. It's just like things just like keep opening themselves up. Like I just got off a two day like like public like crown land uh like aggressive paddle in weekend never hunted the area like with a bow like do i think i'm gonna shoot something no but like that level of experience like i'm not gonna get better unless i do that like i don't know how to hunt the canadian shield for whitetail i've been hunting in the prairies like Mm -hmm. i hunt in the parkland where i can glass deer for two miles and I can't see most of the places I was hunting. I can't see 40 yards, you know, it's like completely different. It's like, I want to like experience those things. I want to like, I want, uh, that's the thing that I'm jealous about. I don't know if you guys ever like find yourself jealous of like other people's hunting spots or abilities, but like if you, if you're like an American, you have access to like 10 tags within like an hour from you, like, different States, different animals, like all this. And I'm just, sometimes I just think like, I wish I could just drive to North Dakota Mm-hmm. and like get an over-the-counter mule deer tag not this year <laughs> <laughs> yeah but all all that to say is like uh i'm extremely grateful for manitoba and what we have to offer like we've talked about this last podcast too but i just think reiterating like the grass isn't actually greener anywhere else like we have endless incredible opportunities here to like on so many like like from waterfowl, like massive migrations, marsh, like m- world-class marshes, amazing field hunting for birds, big game, moose, elk, caribou. Like you can still buy a caribou tag, you know, mm-hmm. and go hunting. Yeah. Like it's nuts. Where else? I don't know. Go north. At, at some point, there'll be a mule deer tag in Manitoba. I just need to make it happen. Yeah. I think it's like getting close to time. I think like on a draw. I think there's enough opportunities in Manitoba that if, like, you really dove into it and wanted to make a really interesting fall, you could. And there's certainly opportunities otherwhere, too, like other places, too, mm-hmm. to, to get into it. And uh, But I, th- I think if, if there's somebody sitting back that's kind of bored, I think they're just not digging deep enough. Oh, no. I think most people, like, they, like you, you will find any excuse you can to not, to not hunt if, if you don't actually like it. Um, there's there's pressures to not go out and there's there's excuses galore there's you know the what the wind's not perfect uh the there's not enough deer um there's too many hunters like we're gonna hear that this year a lot yeah our friends are gonna make excuses about pressure and i'm i was ready to make one about my weekend too like i ran into 10 people muzzleloader hunting on this like paddle in crown line hunt where i thought i was gonna see no one and that's not the reason i didn't kill anything you know what I mean? That's just like, it also like, I want, and my, the guy I was with was like, hey, we looked at maps on the internet and found a spot where other people like to hunt. I guess we picked a good spot. Yeah. Exactly. We're not stupid, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I was like, that's true. We're not stupid. Thank you. <laughs> and I was like, wow. I was like, there's ways to think about this positively, but like, because I think COVID-19 is going to bring, bring a lot of people back to hunting or new, new hunters out. Um, and I think more so the numbers are going to come from people who used to hunt who are going to want to hunt again mm-hmm. they're like i hunted with my dad as a kid and I, I really want to do this again now i got all this time i got time yeah and also just like a renewed perspective on who i want to be mm-hmm. and they get to see if they actually like it again 
Yeah, you and know? we were chatting too. Is wild how not just hunting, like just that change in perspective seemed to trigger a whole onset of um, events from like gardening and supplies being sold yeah. out to like like the parks were overrun this year with people like at capacity or yeah like my friend i was just out hunting with luke he was saying like we used to always i used to go do solo hikes on the Ontario trail and see no one and he said it is packed with people yeah and people don't have a lot of experience in the outdoors so there's like garbage everywhere and they've never had to take a like a poop in the woods and so they just don't really know like what protocol is <laughs> you know it's like the leave no trace thing like it's not their fault they've no one's ever taught them like they're we need to be excited about the prospect of more people realizing that we have all this land um and like gearing up to protect it like Mm -hmm. and make it better like habitat wise um more trails for for people that want to do different things like it's not all about hunting like get people paddling and and hiking and, and get more trails established like we have so much awesome land for that and we have like not very many hiking trails mm-hmm. like what why we have like more opportunity for that than anywhere else and it it's it's tough to establish these trails but you know it's doable that's the thing that interested me about the the backcountry model the most the backcountry um hunter and fisher uh group there was that they took a multi-user approach to advocating for public lands which meant that you brought all these stakeholders to the table had a common interest which was make sure that public land stays public so we can all be there and we want this thing maintained. You know what I mean? We want access to it. We want, you know, some facilities in it to make sure that there's not garbage all over the trails. Uh-huh. And they had a lot of success because they, they brought all those groups to the table. Mm-hmm. You know, they found the common interest, which was public land access and like maintenance. But in like in Manitoba, because there seems like there's this renewed or new interest in 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 public land and in in being outside um yeah even things like developing fire pit areas like if you get a bunch of people like if you add another thousand people to a hiking trail a summer let's say the amount of fire damage it's pretty bad like you can't just have make fires anywhere when you have Mm -hmm. that many people on trails that's like why they're starting to establish like on the big hiking trails in the united states and canada like you can only have them here and it's yeah. weird at first because it feels like it feels like people are trying to control a wild experience, but like trying to have a light footprint in these places is is a lot harder than it seems, you know. And uh, um, I, I I really want to see hunters get involved on that front. I don't feel like I hear about it enough, um, and I, I don't want to be the guy that's like the hippie hunter who's like I don't own a quad or a snowmobile, but I don't own a quad or a snowmobile, and part of the reason it's not because of money it's because like i don't want to be the person that that like always is wrecking stuff going in on a quad and not to say that some people use quads really well and uh they're necessary they're a really good tool for hunting like there's no doubt about it snowmobiles too but like i really want to see like i dream of a place where there's land set aside for people who don't want to use those things Mm -hmm. and there's like multi-use areas where you can you can get around in them everywhere on a on a quad or a bike or whatever you know i think all those parties can be made happy with as much land as we have in this in this province in this country mm-hmm. we don't have that issue in the united states where we're 
we're really battling for amount of acres. Um, like Western states are probably, there's a lot of public land, but like everywhere else in the United States, it's like people are duking it out. Yeah. You know, like you're talking about like tree stands 30 yards away from tree stands in Michigan and stuff. Like mm-hmm. it's crazy. And I, I like, yeah, you get, you get some guys are like hunting five acres of land or, you know, yeah. it's, I live on a five acre lot. And I'm like, man, if I, shot a deer here it would be pretty dicey if it didn't yeah. go on somebody else's property For sure well like my mom's family is all from wisconsin and they all hunt and and they're all hunting on like 20 30 40 acres of land and all their neighbors are also hunting on 20 30 40 acres of land. there's like an insane deer density yeah like more deer per acre than we could even conceive of here um but they're heavily pressured kg animals and it, and like because they're they are there's pressure on them for like four months like it's or more and yeah like i mean i'm just so grateful i don't have to duke it out like that you know like yeah i don't know i just really want us to be celebratory of of our of where we are and 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 also like positively critical uh of it at the same time Mm. like we can make it better yeah there's no re- like I think gratefulness actually does make you want to make it better. Totally, that's the, that's the whole point for getting more people into it, right? Totally, you, you get them invested and uh, interested in it, then of course they're gonna want to see that that resource or that that uh, piece of land maintained. I would love to hear people's feedback on on how and why and if we should have why we don't have the the give people the right that are from the United States to hunt without guides, for instance, hmm. in Manitoba. I'm just yeah. interested in in how that became uh, a thing, for big game anyways. You can, right. you can hunt uh, waterfowl. but Yeah, you can. But, I uh, think you can fish. I'm, I'm, yeah, you can fish, and but you can't stay on Crown Land for, well, that might be Ontario. Okay, yeah. I'm There's like sure. Crown Land uh, stipulations in Ontario about how long you can camp, which okay, I, yeah. I think are actually good, but, but that's another issue. I, I'm interested in like, how we could potentially get other people in our province hunting um, without without like having to hire a guide service. Is this a way to protect our guides to make sure that there's an income for them? Maybe that's what it is. I'm just wondering how that argument is made and why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I would think I'm, I'm not an expert on the subject, but I would imagine that some of it is to ensure that you know, those lodges are receiving some for, like, I think the non-resident hunters get treated much more as a commercial vehicle than the resident hunters who I'm assuming the government assumes that we have a bit more of a, a right to harvest the resource than... Uh, I just don't know that's a net positive. For for the kind of, like... Even for the guides. Right. Like... If you were to have, you still offer the same amount of tags to the guides for, for like American hunters to come hunt big game in Manitoba. Okay. So yeah, the allotment. Yeah. But then you also had a draw for, for people that are uh, foreign residents, we call them yeah. in the regs to come hunt our resource. And so you could manage how many came, but how would that not, you know, increase desire to come hunt here and for some people who have money to go use guides, mm-hmm. but people that don't see my interest is in people that don't have a lot of money, allowing them access to this, to this sport. 
to this tradition. Right. Because we could go down to Montana, you're saying, and go yeah. hunt elk. Yeah. But we, like we could get an and... We could get an over-the-counter tag in some places to hunt mule deer, to hunt whitetails in yeah. the States. And there's way more pressure and and, and 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 we're just, we're way more closed and conservative on that conservation front. And I don't know that it actually creates better management. Like if you got more people interested and more people out on the ground that are like really great hunters, um, like I think it would, I think it would change the way we saw what we have. And it would, it, it's not like it, it would be an over the counter thing. Like you could do it on a draw basis and it wouldn't have to be many tags. And we had this conversation about having a, a, the ability for someone out of province even to hunt elk in Manitoba. It's the same in Saskatchewan. Like I can't go hunt mule deer in Saskatchewan. I don't think hmm. there is a draw in Alberta. It takes a lot of years to, to get, but Alberta is more of an American model. As far as I understand, you can get a uh, over the counter mule deer tag. If you hunt certain in certain areas. zones yeah. in Sask in, uh, non Sask, but Alberta, Alberta. Yeah. 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 Um, I think one one interesting thing that I've I've talked about with friends too is like how cool would it be to have like a governor's tag or like that that kind of style of tag that somebody can bid on to go for like Manitoba elk because there's like there's nobody Manitoba elk is it's a unique yeah. kind of species and they're very tough to hunt for the most part right yeah depending on where you're hunting them like Agland obviously the opportunity is different but if you're hunting um like all public lands and it's it's a pretty tough hunt for sure so i think i think there could be a big attraction there for some guys but here's the kicker right you put that up for a bidding war and my only selling feature on that would be all those dollars would have to go back into conservation efforts for elk in the province kind of thing you know what i mean yeah i want i want like i want to see the population the elk population continue to rise like apparently we've had success with this elk population getting bigger Mm -hmm. and i don't know anyone who really wants to see it get smaller like even someone who's not interested in hunting like Mm -hmm. why would you these are amazing animals you get to see them like they're beautiful man it's it's unbelievable like whether you're into the outdoors or not they're just ah man such a cool creature well even if you're a hiker and you're like you you go on or a horseback ride and you go horseback riding through the shell valley and you hear an elk like a bull elk bugle at you like it's gonna do something to you yeah this is it how could it not it's one of like it's a special sound man like it's it's i don't want to say prehistoric but it's just got that primal yeah it's very primal very like featured i really know? love like I really love, I don't have the experience you do in, in the elk woods, but I love it when animals, like we had four deer, like wheeze at us today, like first thing in the morning. And it was just like, it was great. It's like, they're doing their thing. They just figured out who I was and where I was. And it was like, I got to be like part of that, <laughs> you know? And I was like, I was there and it was just, I got to realize that I was doing I probably screwed up the hunt, but like, it's like pre-dawn and you, and you hear something respond to you, to what you're doing. If it's your smell, like just being you, mm-hmm. or if it's, or if it's the noise you made or, or whatever. Um, I love, I love hearing the whitetail stomp. Yeah. Like the way they do it and they shake their head and they put their foot down and, and like, like thump the earth. Like, um, all that stuff is just like, and the other thing about hunting that I, I, I guess I've learned from fishing is a lot of conservation efforts 
on the fishing front come from anglers who are like their eyes are on the water and they're noticing things happen good and bad water levels changing too much whatever it is the amount of places i've been and i was like an avid outdoors person before i really started hunting but the amount of places that like hunting takes you that you would never walk through you'd Mm -hmm. never enter like the amount of crap that you've walked through hunting elk like there's no hiker that would just willingly go through muskeg or (laughs) or uh or willow thicket or a swamp like you get to see part of the world because of this pursuit that you would never it would be unless you were doing like a science like a survey like unless you're you know i've had many like thoughts when i'm like through the years trekking through the bush where i'm like just this is stupid yeah (laughs) it's absolutely stupid you're like you like whack your eye like for the fourth time that day on a willow or whatever or your feet are soaked and, and you're in a bog and uh yeah, we yeah we hiked out to this spot where like the deer clearly crossed from like one peninsula over this bog to the next. This is like yesterday, and there was like massive amounts of tracks. And we're like, okay, one guy's setting up here, and uh, we ran into the muzzleloader guys. These old guys. We were like, oh, these guys are out of shape. They're not walking around or whatever. And he was just like, where are you guys hunting? Like, we'll stay away from you. And we're like, okay, we'll stay away from you. He's like, oh, there's actually a really good spot where the where the like the it kind of peninsula ends and the bog ends and they kind of cross over and we're like oh we thought we were the only ones that saw that ever in the history of time <laughs> it's like no this guy's been hunting for the in this place for 10 years like yeah. don't be stupid like the, the the reality is like all these wild lands are like people have been on them yeah. figuring them out chasing game around putting themselves in these weird like ugly places where animals love to bed down because it's safe or whatever all these you know and if you start hunting you'll realize like there's cool stuff in all these places and like you start looking at the world way differently you start seeing different birds in those places you like you know i think i think one thing that that really captures me is when when i meet somebody who has spent a huge amount of time outdoors and they they talk about these encounters that they've had these experiences outside and and I kind of got that from you when you were talking about that uh, that elk encounter that you had while you were whitetail hunting. Yeah, and and uh, I had not quite as as uh, extraordinary of an encounter, but I had uh, this year when I was hunting whitetails, I was walking out in like pitch black, and there was like just a glow on the horizon yeah. kind of thing, and I could hear something. I was like, "What is that? That's a buck rub- rubbing his horns on a tree." Right. And I look and I can just see this like willow, like waving yeah. on the horizon kind of thing. I was like, no way. And it was like 50 yards from me. And the, and the first thing that kind of came to my head is like, man, I would never have experienced that. And that's like something super cool if I hadn't been out here. And like, I, I'd trade that in for not seeing a deer any yeah, day. For sure. The first time I saw a buck spar, like, because I'm archery hunting, I'm hunting like longer seasons and I'm like, like getting in a spot where i'm like seeing bucks sparring like before like in pre-rut like like getting them like even just like right after they shed velvet like seeing bucks like they're way too far for me to shoot but like i'm watching them i'm hearing them like test out their hard antlers for the first time like like i see videos of it on the internet and like but like being there it's 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 a it's a different level of like intensity and like realizing that they could just walk this way but they probably won't. They probably don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love it so much. 
it's all I really want to do, and that's just not a reality. And I know that if it's all I did, I probably wouldn't love it. Um, that's the other thing. It's like this special thing that I get to like retreat into, and I have to realize that that's what it is in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we have to work, and right now I'm just farming like crazy, and I don't get to be on the road and and stuff. Um, but so I'm like I'm turning into a weekend guy, which isn't who I was. Like I was like I fish and hunt midweek. Because the weekends the I'm best, away. Best time. <laughs> yeah, no one. I don't want to see anybody. Like I'm not out there to see people. I hate seeing people. Uh, but now I'm like, I guess I'll go out on the Friday and I'll go home Sunday. Like, oh, I just felt dirty, you know. <laughs> but that's that's who I am now. So I just gotta like, you know. You're in with the rest of the riffraff. Of yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Is there is there ice on the the lakes at the docks right now? Do you th- you think? I'm sure. Uh, that is starting to happen. The deeper lakes, probably not. Like, there's still some trout opportunities, hopefully. To be had. Because uh, my plan was next week was to be was to be fishing for tigers. I had a, two days knocked off as long as it wasn't going to be too windy because I want to fly fish for them, and I do not care for fishing in the wind out there. <laughs> like, I'd rather be at home. <laughs> like, battling with the wind with, with a fly rod in a boat, it's just, like, not for me anymore. Yeah, like and and it's just like I'm not I know I don't know what I'm presenting to them like I I can't see them like this time of year you can almost sight fish for those tigers you know so like you it's the best because you can see them in shallow water darting around like I had this experience with browns uh, up up on Lori Lake a couple weeks ago um, and I never landed one but (laughs) but uh, but I we had a doozy on actually I watched watched my friend break a medium action. Fenwick HMG on a fish. No way. Huh. Yeah, busted it. He was putting a lot of pressure on that fish. And I think it was kind of overlined. There's like, I don't know if you ang- anglers out there, but there's like a whole designation on your rod, <laughs> which you should read. <laughs> a lot of people just don't, they don't pay attention to line size. They don't pay attention to line weight. And it's like, it has to do directly with how your, your rod's actually going to perform. And uh, your reel has the same stuff on it. And so you need to find one that matches your rod and and then put the right line on it and your rod's going to perform great and uh, the line will break before your rod breaks. But uh, I've got a buddy who I can think of that would benefit from maybe <laughs> paying more attention to those numbers. Yeah, you can just uh, throw things together and it most of the time will work. You know, you're catching some walleyes. And, um, but like if you hook like a 10-pound walleye, it might hurt you. Yeah, it might bite you. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Did you get more fishing in this fall? Uh, not as much as I hoped. Um, especially I was hoping that I'd do a lot of it late, like the last few weeks of October. That was sort of the plan with my partner, with Hale and my wife. And, and so now like it's been minus 11 overnight for the last three nights at home. That's like, we're starting to like get ice. Um, I believe that we still have docks in at the cabin. And so I'm going to be heading up there like pronto this week to try and save them from destruction. Yeah, that's a real factor, right? Yeah, it's no good. It, it was funny when you and Chase were talking about the potentiality of someone coming into Manitoba or Manitoban hunting every species in Manitoba and it almost being an impossibility. I was like thinking in my head, like, yeah, even if you did, you know, you could take someone's gun then and hand them a fishing rod and be like, okay, now go catch every fish. And you could do it all under the same license still too, right? Like that would just be, we're just extremely fortunate, I think, to 
to have that kind of span. Like the fact that you could catch like a sea run brook trout. You can catch a wild a wild brook trout. Yeah. Like native brook trout in Manitoba. This is as far like I haven't caught one. This is my bucket one of my bucket list fish is uh is a wild brook trout in Manitoba. And I gotta go up to Gillum or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, or this is as far west as they come, sorry. I said east. They're eastern fish, but like yeah, they're I've caught like thousands of brook trout in, in my life, but never a wild Manitoba brook trout. I was like, gotta make it happen somehow. <laughs> so if anyone out there <laughs> has a way for me to make that happen, I, I will, uh, I'll bring the beer. <laughs> <laughs> and we were chatting earlier too, kind of like, and we were just starting to touch on it um, after your archery success there, and we're talking about how sometimes we as hunters we're reflecting on kind of like the values that we're putting out there or even the the values that we take to the field about not just hunting but what it means to consume meat and what it means to to be living this lifestyle and it in a day like today social media all the things going on on the internet it seems like there's no shortage of either criticism or um, critical takes on hunting out there why why do you you know Dell, you're a very conscious man why do why do you hunt like what's the well i also am a person who uh because of my job as a musician uh i end up in a lot of different countries and you know a lot of the the job of an artist right now is like trying to be active on social media whether i like it or not i have to try and be and i, I i'm not very good at it maybe but i take a lot of heat because i love posting pictures of of my outdoor life and it's a part of who i am and i want to be proud of it but man i get a lot of negative feedback and so i do wonder like why you, even bother you're on the front lines in some ways in some ways like i'm trying to defend what we do um and appeal to those people who think that it's barbaric or or just colonial or just outright uh does doesn't is not about conservation is not about uh protecting this resource and and that that is just like self-serving um i hunt because uh i love it (laughs) and i love it because it takes me places that i would never never see if i didn't hunt and i love wild meat um but there are lots of parts of hunting that i don't have that question answered appropriately like there's lots about hunting that that is still mystical to me like the thing that keeps drawing me to it. It's like, if I didn't get to have any meat, would I still hunt? Yeah, I probably would. I kind of battle with that question. But like, if I didn't get to shoot an animal, would I still hunt? Yeah, I probably would. Like, I know it's not the shooting and killing that I like. Like, I'm, I will happily do that. Um, there is a, um, just the, you know, people that have done it have this massive, uh, emotional response to have to taking a life. Like for me, it's like elation sadness um like i <laughs> i shot that archery buck this year i actually like because i had been watching him and his buddy walk around for like a month together i was like i was like shit that guy's walking alone tonight you know like <laughs> I, I got i went there man like i'm emo that way you know and i'm i like that about myself but like i know it's a bit much okay but like all of that emotional response to taking that that thing's life i want to feel like and that's a big part of the reason that I hunt. But like, if they took that away from me, 
would I still hunt? Yeah, I would. And like, so if it's not the meat and it's not like the, that raw, like guttural, emotional, like mass that hits you and it's not just being outside, like it, the, the combination of things, uh, it, it is greater than the sum of its parts is what I mean. And what makes it so special is that I can't give that nobody can give a perfect description of why it's so good. And that's like, that's what makes everything so good. And does that make me believe in some like greater higher power? Maybe that's what that is. I don't know, but I don't want to get too hippy dippy, but like, it is like such a massive thing for me. Um, like, and I feel so connected to like previous generations and like tradition. And, but like, I think someone who didn't have any experience hunting should love it too. Like who doesn't have any attachment to that tradition. And so like, it's just the things that we love the most, we can't explain them away. It just, it just can't be explained away why I hunt, you know? And so that's a pretty crappy answer because it's not direct, but like it is like phenomenological. Like we, you, great example is like Vincent Van Gogh or pick any fine artist. You can do the history on the guy or the woman who painted the painting. You can talk about the kind of paintbrush he used, the kind of canvas he used. You can get every specific piece of information about that. But if you think you have the full story of why that thing has meaning, you're wrong. And and I can't, I refuse to live in a world where you can explain that painting away. There's something about it that's like, it has mystery and it keeps people coming back to see it. If it wasn't good, they wouldn't look at it. Mm-hmm. They just wouldn't. And And so like these things that we love so much, that's the reason we love them. I don't know. They, that makes sense, and I'm I'm glad you said that. I want to get too heavy. No, okay, we don't we don't do that here. <laughs> I'm glad you yeah, say that's that because you've never seen a man pour Jim Beam into his beer can. <laughs> well, let's not let's not go so far here. No, it's uh, what was it? Um, I'm glad you said the T word and the T word being tradition because I think. You guys are big on tradition. It comes up a lot on this. On oh this, yeah, uh, that's and that's that's exactly where I was headed. That that was our introduction to to hunting. Right, was out of this tradition with our family, and I think for many folks that's the case. Right, if you look at um, hunting, generally hunting, not so much fishing. That's that's why you got into it. There was a there was a direct mentor or lineage kind of aspect to it. Right. Yeah. The cultural aspect. But I like your exercise of the the subtraction there. So yeah. if you took tradition out of it right now, although it would be impossible in theory. It's, it's hard to sort of conceive of, yeah. But like if you if you said, okay, like you're not going to practice hunting with those people in that community that you grew up with hunting, that would, A, that would be a massive blow. But to, especially to, to most hunters. Yeah. Because most hunters, it, there's a social aspect to their hunts. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you took away that social, cultural aspect, you better believe that I'm still going to be like dreaming of big white tails and, uh, you know, green heads at night thinking about like, I wonder if, I wonder if the wind's coming from the south today, if those green heads are going to be coming in just as hard as when it was coming in from the north. Yeah, when I was a philosophy student, they used this word, like, the other, like, otherness. Yeah. Like, things that you're not allowed to understand. And, like, people that accuse accuse hunters of being just, like, purely colonial, like, don't understand that attraction to, to this thing. Like, we don't get to understand a whitetail fully. Like, 
not all the in, like that's why there's millions of podcasts and videos of how to and mm-hmm. like it never ends and instruction it never, it never will end <laughs> and it never will end you're never going to get it figured out and they might do something different and they're also there are different characters like i hunted this buck that i called uh oh what was his name now but he was like the craziest squirreliest animal i ever watched like i hunted him almost for two years i guess and shot at a mist <laughs> but uh he would do like tiny circles everywhere he went like he would walk over here and then do a tiny circle and then walk over here like 20 yards over and then do a tiny circle and um he was just squirrely like he was like a guy you met at the bar that couldn't stop moving you know there's like their characters animals like they have personalities and of course like we're humans and we we generally act the same on like a massive scale um but we have personalities and, and like interacting with the other of, of somebody else. You, I don't get to understand who, who Tristan and Chase are fully like to get a full account. I got to ask, you know, parents, uh, partners, friends, and even then, and I got to ask you guys too, mm-hmm. but like, even then I don't get a whole picture of it. And that otherness is, is something that you get to encounter every day in the outdoors. Like I don't get to organize this situation. This isn't for me to like have all the answers to. And that like is one of the most compelling things of like being outside, feeling smaller, feeling like it could all end any moment. Some guy with a muzzle loader could shoot me, you know, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> uh, bow hunters are encouraged to wear, to <laughs> encouraged to wear orange. Yeah. According to the regs. Did you see that story circulating? Oh no. Did I make a bad joke by accident? Someone got, someone took one took around to the i did not mean to do that the shoulder alberta in alberta yeah oh yeah Yeah. wasn't a muzzle loader though uh person mistake them for a cougar and uh luckily they survived so Mm -hmm. pretty crazy story uh good reminder to be positive on your target yeah yeah and also like if you're wandering around in the bush like we walked eight miles today and we're not like required as archers to wear orange um during the gun seasons but like recommended to uh, like i recommend people wear wear blaze like if you're getting up in your tree as an archer and you're up in your tree maybe like i would take it off personally Mm. um just to not be a big block of something moving around like uh when you're trying to get a deer in at 20 yards it's tough and maybe am i wrong about their eggs you guys might know better than me but that's what i've read i read them about this before my trip so hopefully that's correct that's a good question. I, I always made the, I always thought that anyone participating in uh, a season based around the dates would have to wear blaze orange. Okay, so well, I'm, I'm pretty season, sure I just read their eggs and I think it's like an encouraged thing. Right. There might be some, some, uh, some finer and, details. And it's there possible that, I, that I'm over. breaking the rules and I'm going to face fines tonight, <laughs> but... Uh, I don't think so. Plus, I did wear orange pretty much the whole trip. So, but yeah, like wandering, even even just like hikers, I would you know be nice to see people wear an orange, just to recognize what's happening around them. That's a good point, actually, and maybe a lot of things that likely hikers don't think about. Never mind archery hunters, right? The fact that there are other activities occurring out there, and um, not all of them are hiking. Well, that's the thing about like bringing everybody to the table. Uh, all interested parties, especially on wild land, like mm. public land, crown land. I could think about a few hikers I know and be like, "Hey, I got you this orange vest," and they'd be like, "What's that for?" Oh, it's for uh, for September when you go on. I just imagine like a hiker 
running into like a group of like guys pushing bush like wearing orange and being like what are you wearing <laughs> what kind of weird cult did i just walk yeah in? so del do you do you feel any ambivalence or guilt around eating meat yeah yeah for sure where does that come from i live with like a guilt of all kinds <laughs> just um, to be clear and i'm happy about experiencing those feelings like I don't go boldly into saying everything I do is correct. I don't need that in my life. Like I don't think that anything I do is a hundred percent right. Um, do I think eating meat is more right than not eating meat? Probably. Is it a hundred percent clean and like good? Like ultimately good? Not always. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Like I want to be okay with that. Like I have a lot of friends who are vegans and vegetarians and do I agree with their lifestyles? I don't think they're a hundred percent right either. Um, do I think they should change sometimes, you know, sometimes I do. I'm like, I don't think even environmentally, I don't think they have great arguments, but sometimes they have better ones than me. And I want to be a person that's willing to admit that. Does that mean that I'm going to change the way I operate? No, it's like, do I, do I do I think <laughs> do I think indigenous people should stop eating meat or something like that have a traditional like protein based diet like hundred percent no like yeah. the opposite is probably true for a lot of those people like um, I eat a lot of meat I work on a cattle farm uh, I butcher deer and I'm proud to eat meat um, do I think it's always the best thing no like. I just don't think these these questions are like yes or no. It's like, and a lot of people will disagree with this and like call me whatever. But like, um, and I'm the first to if I have a good shot to pull the trigger, you know. So I don't know. I don't know if that makes me like just a walking contradiction. But have you ever thought about going on the carnivore diet? I'm interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it I really like my garden, though. I know, man. It crossed my mind once, just for like. I, I might try, I'd like to try it out when I have the proper resources, but, yeah. uh, uh, man, I love food so much. It'd be tough for me to do it for like, uh, yeah. like a lifetime or like yeah. a full-time gig. <laughs> yeah. And especially like, I find like the most, my most, like my best meat experiences are with wild meat. Like I really do feel, I mean, I don't, and a lot of times I'm, I'm not like thinking about every meal I'm eating, like, come on, like I'm just eating, but like I do sit back and reflect a lot. I spend a lot of time doubting myself and it's sort of part of the reason I write songs and, and I analyze things. Like that's just how I end up writing about stuff and how, where I get my creative juices. Um, yeah, like there's sometimes in some bodies of water where I've kept fish and I've felt bad about it, even though I'm allowed to, mm -hmm. cause I know that there's not like. There might, like, I know some stuff about that particular resource in that particular place. And I'm like, they're trying to let people keep fish from this resource because traditionally people kept fish here. And that doesn't mean it's the best thing for this place and this waterway. And I want to come back here and catch big brown trout. And, uh, but right now I'm eating them. Yeah. Um, and so just because I can take them doesn't mean I always will. And, it, and sometimes I'll take them and feel bad about it. And sometimes I'll take them and feel great about it. Um, it all depends on like what's happening and where, like, you know, like when the deer population's suffering and they're still offering tags, am I still going to hunt? hundred percent I am. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You guys want the lowdown on the blaze orange while we're back on yeah. there? Okay. Am I completely wrong? 
I don't think so, man. It's a, I think this is a bit of a gray area. Yeah, on, okay. On the, I, I uh, did like I, I'm not like a stupid person, and I do read the regs pretty thoroughly. But yeah. I also know that sometimes I misinterpret things. I think it's I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot on this one because it says here, bow hunters are exempt during archery seasons, but are encouraged to wear hunter orange when hunting in an area to a maximum party. Oh, hunting in an area. Where does this go? Oh, uh, where. There's concurred general rifle season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, you don't have to wear... It's, it's encouraged. Orange. Yeah. And, like, before, they used to have... I, I I think I remember, like, harder season lines where archery season, you know, you had your archery tag and then mm-hmm. went into muzzleloader, right? Yeah. They're, they didn't have that general tag right through. Now, the archery season is dated from... Well, it makes sense because, like, archery is like, why shouldn't I be able to hunt the rut in archery? Exactly. I yeah. get it. Yeah. And it's dated, yeah, so it's dated right till the end of rifle season, too. So it's. I like that rule a lot, actually. And some, it might make some people mad because some people really resent having to wear orange. But if you want to bow hunt and you realize how much harder it is, because it's harder. Um, I also don't want everyone seeing where I am. Mm-hmm. Like if I've worked really hard on a particular spot, you go up in a tree wearing orange. Every single hunter will know where you are. Oh, yeah. You go up on a poplar in November. Yeah. You'll get pegged, man. <laughs> Easy. That's what I mean. Oh, yeah. well, that must be a good spot or whatever. And then you're not there. And it's like, wow, this might not have been a spot where someone would have hunted. So like. And you find some dude sitting in your tree stand. <laughs> dude, that's happened to me. Or the conservation truck stops three miles out and all of a sudden he's walking straight at you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's part of the reason I believe that Blaze Orange is so encouraged is to yeah. give those guys so they don't have to get out of the truck and walk too far. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Shots fired. I'm a huge, uh, I'm a huge fan of the COs, actually. Yeah. It's a tough job. And I I'm, can't imagine, like... I think it's only getting tougher, too, eh? Like, oh, there's not enough money. No. We need to figure out a way to get resources to those people. Like, there's just not enough enforcement where I live. That's for sure. I don't see them. And I'm out a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't see them. Like, once in the rut, the truck comes around through Inglis. But, like, they're spread thin. Yeah. It's a big, big area. Yeah. It's 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 not a slight to them at all. Like, I can't imagine having to do that job with, with, with the amount of resources allocated. It's not enough. I think right now is a pretty tough time for them, too, because they, they have, well, in this area anyways, and I'm, I'm sure around the parkland area, too, because it's really a unique time to for the fishermen some really good fishing opportunities right now and the hunting is just ramping up too so yeah. it's like yeah they're just spread again pulled directions. left and right yeah. yeah and then you got people fishing and hunting at the same time yeah like me <laughs> <laughs> that guy's wearing orange in his boat what's going on over yeah. there yeah there was a lot of that where i was hunting yeah yeah a lot of putters along shores like in boats i don't know sketchy yeah so you canoed in almost got marooned because of the ice freezing over yeah so if you plan a canoe trip hike uh hunt public land thing and you like paddle like a mile into like a marshy area you should probably check the forecast (laughs) because we we had this canoe in there and we're like this is a sweet spot to camp it's like perfect we're close we can it's like a mile walk into where we want to try to start setting up and we just completely screwed ourselves because it was like almost an inch of ice the next morning. Because it's shallow water. It's already cold. Like it's already probably yeah. just about freezing. And then it gets down to that basement temperature. And 
That's that's tough ice to break when it starts getting that thick. Yeah, like too. you can't put a paddle through it unless you turn the paddle around and put the handle through it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it it's uh, it's significant, and uh, his there was a lot of there was some expletives yelled. <laughs> you know what I mean? What's what's like one piece of gear when you're on that trip that that you would either take again or one that you would bring okay. that you didn't have. Yeah, that's good because I was going to ask, what would you do differently next time around? Um, so the guy I was with, like, we've done, we we've both done these types of trips a lot, not hunting. Like we've, I was a solo winter camper type person, like go and ski in, and I'm and I might ski and do a like a ski and fish trip, like cross country skiing and fish, and like do it solo. Um, so I've spent a lot of time camping in really cold weather, intense. And mostly it just sucks. Like it just like it's work and you have to just like, and so this actually wasn't that bad and we both had experience and I didn't have to like look after him. He didn't have to look after me, but. We um, talked to him after he said he had to look after me. <laughs> <laughs> he might actually say that. He, he was like, you didn't bring any beer. And I was like, no, I just thought we were going to keep it light. You know, I was like, <laughs> he was like, well, okay, we'll drink the ones I brought. Uh, but, um. Yeah, so um, really good socks. Um, maybe if I could, yeah, like I brought really good socks and I was really grateful I brought really, really good socks and I would bring really good socks again because like like I told you guys, like within the first four hours of my scout, like we got in the afternoon, like early afternoon, went scouting and then we're going to find a place to hang up and hunt. I got both my rubber boots like almost knee high uh like muck boots completely full of water and it's like started off the trip with completely soaked feet and i brought extra socks and if i was smarter i would have brought newspapers because if anybody's in a pinch and needs to dry out boots stick newspaper in your boots and it sucks water up it's like a wicked thing and i used to work in the bush as a tree planter and uh like a brush cutter and you got we had wet feet for four or five weeks we would just stick newspaper in our boots and it like mostly sucks up a lot of that water so like that's something that i would have brought then you have newspaper you can light a fire because it snowed every night you know it would have been a little bit easier to get fires going because we mm-hmm. kind of battle with that um my buddy luke brought one of those fen saws made in duluth okay i'm not sure it's a wicked like camp saw it's basically like just rips through logs and I'm going to buy one now. Like, that's something that I feel like I'm missing from my kit. A fan saw? Sven. It's like oh, Sven. Oh, Sven. Yeah. Sven, okay. It's like this triangular saw that you, like, attach a blade. It's just like, uh, it's it, they're just, like, packed down super light, easy to pack around. And, uh, um, yeah, I loved it. And I probably, like, I, I basically spent the last three days without eating a vegetable. So if I would have changed that trip, I would have, like, taken a little more weight and brought, like, some fiber with me because <laughs> it was like basically i was eating so- deer sausage and i had brought a couple steaks and we uh another great hack for canoeing because a lot of people like have you ever had mountain house like backcountry uh like those freeze-dried bags i they're the worst i heard not great things not about great them. things yeah. like if you if you like dream of a like like me if you spend your nights like you're dreaming about whitetails you're also dreaming about like the perfect shit like in the wilderness <laughs> like uh if you eat those freeze-dried meals you'll never get that it will just be nasty but sidekicks you know those like crappy yeah, yeah. that is a light 
delicious side to any meal in the bush. And you can pack you can pack dozens of them. They weigh nothing. It's just like you can just mostly add water, and you could add a little oil or butter, and most of them will turn out awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. This episode brought to you by Sidekicks. Sidekicks. <laughs> Taste the nor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. And I and I always like. Uh. I fig- like wish I could figure out a way to be quieter. Like I just it was I was so loud. If there was just like a piece of gear that could allow me to be just slightly more stealthy and the other piece of gear i should have brought is maybe a muzzle loader because <laughs> <laughs> i probably would have been had blood on my hands right now but uh see that's uh, one thing that boggles my mind sometimes when i watch like a lot of the archery shows and and even some of like the other hunting shows and the guys are like bundled up and you see him draw the bow and the deer doesn't really get bothered by it i'm like man like there's not a lot of times where i've drawn back a bow given there hasn't been a lot of times that i have actually drawn back a bow on a deer where the deer hasn't like looked at me yep you know yeah 100 like, percent. how are these guys getting away with? and it doesn't look like they're wearing like silent gear either like i try and be silent. i got i got a lot of wool i got a lot of that yeah man like, you're doing it right stuff, in my like, opinion i i think about this so much this is like part of my obsession that i'm super into is like even on my walking like fleece is quiet wool is quiet you can't wear rain gear like there's no rain gear that's quiet mm-hmm. like no everybody says their rain gear is quiet everybody says their down is quiet but like i wear a, I bring a down jacket and i wear it underneath yeah. a wool thing mm-hmm. and it still goes whoosh, yeah. Whoosh, whoosh. yeah like when i'm drawing a bow like it, it you, i can there's hear it still that friction there between I, the and it sucks right? yeah but like there's a balance between like being able to be warm enough to actually draw back or lift your rifle up. Like it's, it's tough when you're cold to make a good shot. Oh yeah. And you just like hate to be in that position where you're like this deer of a lifetime's in front of you and you're like shivering. Like you're like basically a leaf on a poplar right before it's about to drop off. Like, yeah. and it's not because you're nervous. It's because you you realize you're that cold. Like you'll get a little bit of an adrenaline hit and it'll warm you up, but it's not enough sometimes. Yeah, the biggest thing I think about when I'm bow hunting too, like even if I am dressed warm enough, is like either my, like my trigger hand or like my my bow hand is like, are my hands going to be warm enough? And when do I take them out of the gloves when I see the deer? Oh man! <laughs> because like <laughs> often I I'll, I'll just like operate with my trigger hand out, and it just like sometimes like oh man, it's getting a little cold. Like, am I gonna mess this shot up if? A deer walks in right now. Yeah, I know. And you don't, you want to like, you want to have, you want to like figure out a, a system. So like the one really nice piece of camo that I have is like, I, I can't at this point in my life with a kid and like with no real job, like I can't justify really nice buying nice gear. It's been a few years since I've been like, I have a pair of like really thin Sitka gloves for archery and they are amazing. Like relatively warm, extremely quiet, really nice to shoot with. So like, I used like mechanics gloves for a while, like, mm-hmm. um, and they're not great, and they get cold, and they can get stiff. These are just like pliable, and they just like, and then I wear a muff around my waist, and I just stick my hands in that thing, and it's pretty quiet. You can pull them out. Um, I I'm always interested in talking to archers about the specifics of what they do when a de- when they start getting visuals on a deer, what happens to their release. Like what their plan is. Like, is their release getting stuck on their muff when they're trying to pull it out? You know, like, cause that happens all the time to me. Yeah. 
And like everything is not a smooth operation and you're just like trying to be really smooth and then things are binding and then you're trying to like, or your bow's hanging on a tree in my case. Like I have some ladder stand set up in some like well-established locations where I can like, the bow can just sit on my lap and I'm comfortable. But like when I'm in the saddle, I have a hook. I got to take the bow off the hook. I got all these steps have to happen without making any noise. Mm -hmm. And like if I'm lucky, there's a wind that covers some of that up. But man, there's just so many little things that you have to figure out how to do. That's why any time a deer walks under my stand, like no matter what deer it is, even if like I don't have like in the parkland, just it's only been two years now since we've been able to shoot does, and I wasn't gonna shoot a doe in the parkland because I just it felt rotten about it, and I would see them come out with their fawns, and I was like, can I do this? I don't think so. <laughs> but this weekend, if I would have seen a doe with a fawn, I would have taken it because it's like a zone I don't know or care about and it's like there's three tags in this zone they're obviously trying to get rid of these deer yeah there's lots of deer there lots of deer and like there's an argument about like trying to create moose habitat and i don't know how true that is but it's part of the 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 three tag system in ontario anyway like too many deer brain worm Mm -hmm. all this stuff so i'm like yeah i'll just i gotta take whatever but at home like i would consider taking a big dry doe like because i didn't i didn't have a archery deer yet and i was like i don't care but I'd be passing on does, but every time they came in, I would take my bow down, draw back, like aim, honk at it, stop it, like just do the whole thing. And I had like lots of those opportunities over the last three years. And most of them ended in the deer running away before I would have been able to shoot. <laughs> right. And like screwing it up. And like, those are all shots I could have taken and some spikers too. Yeah. Archery, man. It's just this frontier of like endless failure ahead for me. Like I know it <laughs> and and it still makes, it still just like magnetizes me. Like I am upset. Like I am so interested in this elk archery tag. <laughs> Don't do it, Del. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to you talk. I'm doing it, man. <laughs> I'm in. And you know what the other nice part is like, at least there's a white tail tag at the same time. So I can kind of hunt both. Yeah. Know? You you already uh, archery hunt for deer. You fly fish for trout. Man, you're just a, a glutton. I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. Is like, will archery hunting become like fly fishing? Because when you start fly fishing, it seems really difficult. And then fly fishing becomes this thing that's like second nature. Like, am I going to catch more fish on a fly rod or a spinning rod? I'm like 50-50. I mean, if I'm in Manitoba fishing for walleye, I'm going with a spinning rod. I'm only going to ever fish where I'm going to catch. I'm going to use the thing that's going to catch me the most fish. Right. I'm not like a purist. Um, But with hunting right now, I'm like, for me to pick up a rifle again, unless there's multiple tags in my area. Like if I could get a doe tag where I lived, I would shoot a doe because I just love the meat so much. Mm -hmm. But I would probably try to shoot it with a bow first. Partly it's just my gun experience. I've just had so many failures that like muzzleloader failures, bad shot placement with the rifle, too too much distance, too much range, like not a good enough shot, I guess. Like all these things, you know, at least with the bow, I've, I feel like it was so hard. So it forced me to practice way more. Like, do I go shoot my rifle every night? No, I would be broke. <laughs> <laughs> We'd all be broke. Yeah, man. But like shooting a bow... Like, I feel like I'm practicing daily or almost daily 
and some you know you skip some days here and there but like it's really easy to go out and shoot a couple arrows into a block like it's just easy to do Mm -hmm. and just like check in am i still good if you make a big mistake then you're like okay then you can get a session in once a week i try to get like a session in you know i just find it like so much easier to be like honed and like confident i pick up the gun and i'm like yeah i sighted it in so it should be good to go and then there's like a deer at 200 and i'm like yeah okay <laughs> that's I mess this. yeah mess again <laughs> oh and now i've dumped a clip like now i'm one of those guys that i never thought i was gonna be i was like i'm gonna be the one-shot guy you know yeah. no that's not me with the rifle <laughs> the moose i took solo moose uh, like i dumped four rounds on it how many hits you get two <laughs> 50 percent ain't bad eh? yeah well at 40 yards it's pretty bad (laughs) pretty bad man was there a little bit of shakes involved there was yeah the first shot i made was perfect and probably killed him and then i was worried he was gonna run into riding mountain national park (laughs) so i was like and i was also told like if that thing moves you keep shooting because they could go forever so i was like okay um that's another story that i'm like like slightly embarrassed about but but uh i'm glad it ended with the moose you know but on the ground i feel like things can get pretty exciting especially with a big animal like that and we've certainly had our fair share of exciting moments with them things aren't gonna go perfectly like very seldom will they go perfectly yeah it's always like uh oh shit yeah (laughs) (laughs) here we go yeah now now we're adapting yeah yeah it's it's in, and you mentioned practicing with the bow as being like more accessible, but I've got a few like more urban buddies, and they they don't have that same luxury, eh? Like no, can, for sure, yeah. Could, could you imagine like pulling up into Heights Archery or like uh, Heartland around town here, and like wanting to practice from like the kneeling position or something like that? So you're just zinging arrows at the twenty yard range from from the from a chair or something yeah. like that. Yeah, like oh man. They, I'm sure they come up there. Sir, you can't do that. Where right. do, tell me in the rules where it says I can't do that. Right. I'm on one knee. Yeah. I'm like practicing. I'm going to get up from like my like, I'm like on my belly and I'm going to allow him to get up <laughs> in, in the archery range and yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to draw back. Draw while you're coming up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're letting off. The Excuse leaves. me, sir. Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, uh, anybody who's, like, been, like, just shooting at home and then, like, like, casually done something like that and then launched an arrow in the process by accident realizes, like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this in the archery range. <laughs> Kill somebody. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like, all that stuff. It's, like, I got horses at home and uh, my archery range is kind of set up where they sometimes are. And I've never, obviously, hit a horse. But, like, I flung an arrow over my target, like, that I shouldn't have. And I was, like... I didn't take this seriously. <laughs> like there, there, there's like animals over there, and like my dogs around, and like I would just casually, my dog would be just ahead of me, and I would shoot. I don't do that anymore. I'm like, I make mistakes sometimes, and like I bump my release, and I have it set pretty, like, pretty much like a hair, and so like I'm not. Yeah, we actually had an experience this weekend where um, my buddy, like, he had a climber stand, and he he was really cold, and so he had his release just attached to a string. He, and that's how he was holding his bow and the climber stand slipped and the release went off and his bow went oh, no <laughs> yeah yeah it was fine it landed in the pile of trees that he had just trimmed <laughs> so it was fine but it was like one of those things where like that that kind of thing happens out there you know yeah 
that's gonna wreck your confidence though. Like if you're thinking about drawing back at a buck at forty. He he to his credit, he immediately just burned an arrow into a stump. Oh, okay. From the stand. Oh and yeah. I was like, Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Like, you just spent ten bucks, but whatever. You'd, you'd have to, for sure. Yeah, this thing shoots, okay. Yeah. Still shoots where I remember it shoots. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. yeah. I uh last year I had a, a funny kind of bit of a mishap when I was doing some like later season archery hunting and and I haven't done a whole lot of like cold weather archery hunting. It's hard, eh? And I, I'm all bundled up, and I got like my uh, my like I don't know what you call them those those like big hats that come over your ears. Yeah, and you clip under. It's like rabbit fur inside or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I got it's like classic up. Canadian apparel there. Yeah, yeah. So I got that up in a tree stand, and I always like try and make a habit of like drawing back when I hop up in the stand. Yeah, and yeah. Just trying out the angles and good see idea. how things are going, and I so I get up there, and it's just like. I draw back and like stupid me. Like I still got the hat on. I'm like, man, my I can't even anchor on no. this thing. Like, what am I doing? I Dude. go to let down and I let down and like my I can't remember what happened, but my arrow comes off my string and punk goes like <laughs> launches like two feet over the railing and yeah. goes to the bottom of my sound. Like <laughs> and like I always have like one arrow that I'm just like I feel like I'm a hundred percent with. Yeah, me I too. Hunt, I hunt with that arrow. Me too. I'm like there goes that arrow. <laughs> I'm down to like the 80% arrow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. I have the same problem like, and I've started practicing with like, okay, I'm going to wear the gear. I'm, it's like, it's August, but I'm wearing like a down coat with like a quiet layer over top and I'm trying to like pull back my bow because like if my jacket's too bulky, then all of a sudden my string starts yeah. hitting my jacket on the way to the string stopper yeah or i wear like a full camo face mask and i pull back and my anchor point just like you is like disappeared from me like i'm like this is not what i remember like i can't even find my cheekbone like i use a thumb style release and i pull back back my hand and the saving grace for me now is that i'm using my nose and mouth to like to locate everything so like three points so if i lose one a little bit I still have the other two. So I'm finding a lot of confidence there. And then I can also like, I also am doing this weird, like, I don't know if archers do this, but for me it's working. I open my mouth and then put my hand on my cheek and then I can feel exactly where it is. And then I close my mouth and then it's perfect. So like, even if I have like layers on my face, I can like locate that back cheekbone that I'm just so familiar with. And it's like, it's taken me a long time and someone's going to come and be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but like right now it's working for me. And so like it's one of those things hunting that like you just have to like hold on to the things that are working. Like you might have like slight peep rotation or you might have just like weird things happening with your sight with your gun. But like if you feel confident with it, that's going to go way further than trying to fix that problem. Because you start opening yeah. up that can of worms, oh, you're going to get into lands of like uncertainty and if you don't pick up your gun and know where that bolt's going, I've been there, man. You've probably been there too. Yeah. It sucks. Man, I've seen, it's, it's funny how you talk about like just certain things that you do that you're kind of like, oh, I wonder if somebody else does this kind of thing. But I watched, I remember watching Cam Hainsey's firing arrows at like 140 yeah, yards nuts. or something it's like, like that. It's like completely ridiculous. And I just like, he was doing this thing where he was like opening his mouth kind of thing. And he was just like looking it looked like to me he was just trying to find that sweet spot with the string coming across his mouth or something like that. And I was like, man, I can't believe he like 
he's doing that and he's nailing the target at 140 like that. So right. I, it's just something in his system that he has to go through or whatever that makes him get into that comfort zone and get gain that confidence before he launches. And it's just like interesting. Do you guys feel like a firearm like is almost a simpler machine? Like I feel like I understand the mechanics, the physics of like gunpowder igniting a rifled barrel and like trajectory it comes more naturally to me than like trying to understand why an arrow like does weird shit in the air like well, it, well, well, it, for makes, sure it'd be it makes curves it like it spins it it like like all of it i mean like the bow itself is just a complete mystery to me a lot of the time <laughs> Like how much it can change based on how if I change it from broadhead to field points. Like, how is this possible that this now that last year this same bow was shooting perfectly with field points and broadheads, and now my broadheads are four inches left at twenty yards? How yeah. could it possibly go for it? And I can watch the arrow go wow, like in the opposite direction to me. Like four inches is like completely that is like the that is completely useless. This yeah. two, this thing that I'm really good at with field points is now rendered useless to me. Yeah, and you dealt with a little bit of this too. It's like this tool that I'm spent all this time like caressing and like like in a it's a marriage. Yeah, it just completely doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. It's, well, it's, let me tell you, when you shoot a 1980s PSC Stingray, <laughs> same way every time. Yeah. <laughs> You can bend the sixty-yard pin back into place, and it's going to shoot at sixty. <laughs> it's deflating, man, and it's there's so many more variables though in that bow than there is in a rifle. You know what I mean? Like the rifle, like with some of the bullets that we shoot out of our rifle, like literally that that slug coming out of the rifle is one solid piece of copper. Mm-hmm. When you're launching that arrow alone, you've got the veins, you've got the the shaft. the shaft the you know what the stiffness the, even, of the shaft even the broadheads are tuned differently they're probably tuned slightly differently and then you can you can like i don't know you can go with like this whole like there's different schools i mean there's different schools in reloading too i'm sure but like there's a lot of people that are going away from like speed yeah because yeah. speed was the rage for for like 30 20 years yeah and now everyone's like Let's Wait. let's load up the front of that arrow. Let's do cut on contact. Like we're basically like merging traditional arrow setups into compound setups. Yeah, mm-hmm. slowing that arrow trajectory down, but making it like so punishing. Mm-hmm. I'm interested. I think it it does a lot for uh, accuracy in the way of um, just unpredictables too. Like those those heavy FOC. Um, arrows fly a lot better from what I hear just in like unfavorable conditions yeah I mean it's gonna not be affected by wind as much how could it be there has to be a line where like you know how these things work in society where like the pendulum swings from one side to the other there Mm -hmm. has to be like sort of a sweet spot like a moderate position where like there was a reason they went to speed everything up and there was some success that happened because of speed and like the bow manufacturers were just like high on it like how fast can we make this puppy Mm -hmm. and now like you have bows that are like they're still really fast because they developed all this technology but now they're focused more on like how nice is this to draw back 
like how great is the back wall how like all these things bow people will know way more about this than me like i'm just such a novice in terms of like knowledge about bows and how they're made but all of that all those intricacies and like and then now putting some like heavy like cut on contact broadheads like two like not even like three uh like cutting edges like guys are putting two on again you know Mm -hmm. like for elk like heavy ass arrows yeah like elk they're setting up for big tough animals my friend in saskatchewan this year him and his hunting partner they were shooting expandable the his hunting partner was shooting expandables at elk hit the elk in the shoulder the elk looked at him grabbed the arrow out of his shoulder and spit it no out (laughs) He says, he says, and he spit the arrow right at me. But like, that's not true. But like, he spit it out and ran away. Like, how epic! Like a spike ball. Like, and he like aimed right at the pocket behind the shoulder and just hit just a bit too too far ahead. And I told Tony Peterson that story. He's like, "Oh yeah, I've seen deer spit arrows out at me." Oh man! I'm like, a white-tailed deer. Like, and he's like, that that guy that's failed that much. There's a reason why he shoots seventy pounds. Yeah. Like, I don't shoot 70 pounds. I mean, I, I, I could work up to it, but, like, why? Like, I'm like, everyone's like, make a good shot. I don't know. If you if you wound stuff too many times and, like, with that many opportunities on deer, you're probably starting to think, whatever I can do to make this thing happen. To maximize that. Accuracy is the best, the best performance Indicator. thing you can do. Yeah. Problem is those damn deer can move. I know. You know? There's a lot of variables. It's a step. But, like, you still, you still, like, that even means you have to be more accurate. Like, you just have to be as accurate as you can because those variables are going to happen, you know? It's out there in the universe. Again. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick up the rifle again and just go straight to two weeks of hunting and just forget about it all year and then just hunt the rut. <laughs> it's, there's something about that. And the people that do that, like, I love that because they get together with their family and they, they just, like, they know the spots they know. Maybe this can be kind of our final topic here that I'm thinking. Well, of. you don't think we've gone on long enough? No, <laughs> no. I think I think we've got about four parts here that we can <laughs> run on. Maybe, maybe it's an anthology. I'm, I'm not sorry, sure. guys. No, it's great. Um, I just like hanging out with you guys. Yeah, we'll have lots of opportunity for that. Um, I have this theory that I've been kicking around in my head lately, and it's that the, the, there's like definitely different hunters out there. And when I say that, I mean like there's like prototypes of each like there's like the the trophy hunter which is out there to like get your your big animal obviously there's the the killer or the meat hunter who's out there to whack something when they see it yeah like first opportunity boom i need meat yeah or i'm just really excited to like pull the trigger yeah scenario and like i was there when i was younger like i mean it was all about for me like hey i'm just if I see something that's going down, super jack. Not much has slid by. Yeah, not much. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> um, and then, like, there's certain elements of people I see that it's like a guide hunter. Like, they're almost more happy to be out there showing people what to do or, like, hanging stands and stuff like that. Yeah, like, a lot, I find, like, a lot of, like, old timers get that way. Yeah, yeah. They just want, like, they want someone else to shoot. And they'll, like, they'll gut it. And they'll, like, they'll put you on the ear. And that's, like, yeah. that's actually where they get their joy. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've got this theory that like I'm I'm like a camp hunter. I just like being in camp. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like I like the hunting aspect, but like yeah, yeah. If, if you uh if you ask me about it, like I don't I It's don't, a big part of it, man. Yeah. I like 
coming back at the end of the day and like the fire's going and maybe the food is rolling and I'm thinking about what meal's coming up. <laughs> I kinda, like, do you guys think that there's like different classes or styles or like maybe maybe not 100% one, but yeah. like you're, you, you, you lean towards one. Do you know what I mean? Like Chase, I see a lot of the guide in you. You know, you know what I mean? I man, I, I do enjoy that part of it, but I also do enjoy hunting by myself a lot. And just because um, I'm pretty stubborn at times, and like sometimes when I go out and I want to make my own decisions, and just and they're not always the right decisions, but at least they're like myself to blame. Would you and Sheldon ever get in a fight about uh, hunting choices? Uh. I don't think we ever have. I always, I, I always try and go in if I'm with, when I'm hunting with somebody. I always try and go in open minded, even if yeah, there's something to learn. Yeah, even, even yeah, like even if if like the the spot that say Sheldon and I are hunting together and we're elk hunting. Okay, he wants to go over here. And I'm like, in my mind, man, I really don't want to go over there. I just want to hunt over here. I'm still like, kind of. Well, maybe we'll see something over there. I've never been over there or whatever. He thinks it's a good spot. Maybe it's a great spot. I don't know. Let's go check it out. And, you know, you never know what, what, ways, what way it's going to go sometimes. Um, but there's like, so I do enjoy that solo thing. And then I enjoy the camp part of it too a lot. But there's part just, of me that, just, that just wants. Just to like retreat though. The solo thing is like what I'm most comfortable with. And I'm like learning to hunt with people. Um, but what about the solo thing like what about it do you think really do you really like about it like what draws you to that just the idea that you get to make your own decisions like like you live or die by your decisions like how how where are you at in your head about like the solo hunt i like it because i get to make my own decisions and there's no pressure to to deviate from those decisions and it's just at times for me relaxing because I can literally do whatever I want and I don't have to have the conversation about maybe we should be over here. Maybe we should be over there. I just kind of, that's a thing that I'm not good at in group hunting scenarios. Even this weekend, like we did a really good job. I think like trying to express ourselves, like what we both wanted out of each situation, but I was not like, I wasn't ready for that. Like I'm not, I don't know how to like be like, cause I don't know that I'm right. Yeah. Because I know that like it's a it's a roll of the dice, but like everyone has their gut. Man, almost like every time I hunt with somebody and and like you go you you have those conversations, I usually do learn something and like figure out times when I am wrong and making a poor decision or maybe not the right decision too. So it's is that battle, but it's just the fact that it is easier sometimes for me just to go out and just not have to. That's so fight funny, those man. decisions. Yeah, you know you're, what make, I mean? you're making me feel like kind of bad because like I thought I was hunting alone because like it was it was like a better way to do things. But I actually probably hunt alone. Not to say that you're being selfish, but like you're describing it like and and, and that's me. Like I'm like I don't want to have to deal with like a screwing up someone else's hunt, not them not succeeding. Mm-hmm. B having this thing in the back of the mind was like wishing like i wish we would have done it my way yeah like not that my way would have been right but like i don't want to have that thing eating away at me 
like I don't have a easy time. It's different with like waterfowl. Uh, maybe it's not. I mostly hunt waterfowl alone. Yeah. But the times I've been with people, we've had success, and that's only a handful of times. Like mostly, I just hunt them alone. So, but yeah, like I don't. There's another like the solo hunter is another type of hunter, and that's me. Or like, and then there's like the adventure hunter, which I dabble in as well. Like I want to shoot something as far away from a road or quad trail as possible. And I want to haul that thing back on my back. And that's the most fun. Mm-hmm. Like the killing in, and of it and getting in there, it's like whatever. But like being in this remote location, like the romantic adventure hunter, that's like part of me too. Like just speaking about your archetypes. Yeah. You know, that's so funny. Cause you guys are talking about like that decision making process and I am so much the opposite. Like I, there's nothing more I like, and coming back to camp and putting all the minds together and de- developing that strategy for the mm-hmm. where yeah, is it cool? Where is everyone hunting? I'd or? probably have a lot more success if I did that. <laughs> 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 I need some expertise here because uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like oftentimes, there's not a lot of expertise, and sometimes the motivations are quite clear around the table. It would. It was funny because like uh, there was a hunt I was on a while, uh, not too long ago. And I was uh, hunting with a dude, and he was spotting, like, all these animals. And I was just like, shit, man, I have seen, like, 80% of this stuff if I wasn't hunting with him. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. There's things to be learned. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sure, that, like, everyone oscillates too, right? So, like, I'm sure there's days where I go. There are days where I go out, I know, where I'm like, okay, it's just kind of nice to be doing my thing. But mm-hmm. I know, like, my home base is, like, yeah, come back to camp. Get a meal on, get the fire going, tell a story. And it's funny listening. Like, I love that. I just don't like, like, I just want them to let me just do my own thing and fail in the morning or whatever. (laughs) But, like, I honestly would, I honestly should hunt with other people because I would get better faster, you know? Like, that for me is a weakness. I'm seeing it. Thanks for bringing it up, man. Probably depends (laughs) how your company is, right? Even if you're with someone who's, like, a, a super novice or new like i think just like seeing the world through their eyes and like realizing what you know right like like i have been looking at sign like so much in the last few months where i live and i got to like the canadian shield and sign was not the same like the types of trees that deer scraped were different like different species of trees mm-hmm. and like i had a hard time seeing scrapes at first because they weren't like every like all of my scrapes are on poplars where I live. Like every scrape, pretty much. You rubs. Yeah, sorry, rubs. Oh, what a moron! <laughs> <laughs> but oh, yeah, all of my rub lines are like on on you know the same size poplar. Like they're hitting the same size poplar everywhere, and like they're like obviously fresh. And where I went, like these deer are rubbing different trees, and they look different, and they're not the same size, and the scrapes look different. And it's like we're almost at peak scrape activity. Mm-hmm. and like i'm just like i'm in like i'm on a rub line and i'm walking like i'm seeing rubs and i can like i'll pick up my binoculars and i'll like find the next rub it's like kind of the way i operate and i can't find scrapes and i started finding the odd scrape by the end of my trip like in the shield this weekend but like i know where all the scrapes are like the major scrape locations are where i'm hunting at home mm-hmm. and like to have somebody else in there who knew what was going on and where scrapes were like it would have been amazing but would i have been able to listen to them 
you know, what I would like, what I've had the ears to be able to realize. Cause I've been like spending so much time studying sign where mm-hmm. I live. Mm-hmm. Probably too much pride there. <laughs> like probably like, cause like I'm, I know my area and, and the, how the sign is happening. And like, I've been doing it over the last few years in the same areas. And like, yeah, I'm getting pretty confident, but all that goes away when you're sitting on what you think is fresh sign and no deer come out. Like my first sit, it's like, I'm on fresh, like super laser fresh rubs and beds and a food source and zero deer come out in a place where everyone says there is lots and lots of deer, like two to one population wise, you know, near Pinawa or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not doing something right. That's cool. Like I, I didn't go there expecting that I would succeed also. Like I'm not that dumb, but like with a bow in a brand new place, but yeah, like I could have used, uh, guy at camp who had maybe hunted there before even if they had like were a novice they probably would have known more than me there yeah you know yeah that's, that's an interesting and even just a me. fresh perspective on sign if you're willing to listen to somebody like yeah they're not going to be right all the time but like listen to them and like you were saying like maybe i should go check out this area like what do i really have to lose here mm-hmm. either way it's a roll of the dice sometimes right 100 yeah. percent. like what else is hunting there's no guarantees yeah exactly it yeah, I could use a bit more social, like, responsibility in my hunting in terms of, like, what I think I know, you mm-hmm. know? I don't know. I'm I'm curious to hear what our audience would have to say if they have an opinion on, like, the archetypes or stereotypes of hunters. Yeah, me too. I'm also curious to think what your weakness, what you think your weakness is as a hunter. Like, like, if you were to, like, hone it down to one. Yeah. Jeez. I can think of a few off the bat, but I'm not sure what one would be the most, like, detrimental. I think sometimes my attention span hurts me. Yeah. I want to, like, sometimes just sitting in a tree stand alone some days just kills me. I'm not one of those persons that's, like... Zen? You're not, like, Zen master up there? No, no. It's like, oh, no, the time just slips by. I don't even notice I'm there. Yeah, or I just like being alone, observing nature. Like, I I like observing nature, but sometimes there's absolutely nothing going on. Yeah, and, like, like, you can just feel your phone in your pocket, and you can just, like, someone probably shot me a message. Yeah. (laughs) I should check it out. I mean, I know it's, I know I only have half an hour of light left, but, like, you know, I should (laughs) check it out. Now your hands cold because you've been texting. Yeah. yeah, Chase. What do you think? What do you think? Do you? What do you think your weakness is? Like, where do you? Where do you want to improve? Or like, how? How do you like figure out who you are as a hunter? Like, in terms of like, what parts do you feel like need some oil? You know, I. I one thing that I that frequently passes through my mind every deer season is just impatience and. Like, I find myself, well, I'll find a good area or whatever, and I'm like, okay, I'll sit here for a bit. And then I'm like, kind of do the, well, yeah. I wonder if there's another good area because there's no deer here right now, <laughs> you know? And then I'll get and up then, and, and then I'll then walk you, around. Yeah, and then and you'd like, spray yourself too thin or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough balance to know, like, when to when to move. Yeah, and it's, it's such like, uh, I know Tony Peterson talks about this uh, a little bit too, and we brought him up quite a bit so i feel like we can relate to a lot of the stuff that he speaks on and just like having that mental toughness to be able to do like an eight hour sit in a tree stand dude dude's been doing all day sits all season yeah 
He's like, I'm going out to do all day sets. Like, what am I going to go? Like, unless I can glass, like, unless he can do like appropriate scouting, but he's yeah. like, am I going to see deer on their feet in the open in the day? No, yeah. I should be sitting on water or on bedding. Yeah. All day. You got to have a bulletproof mind, man, just to know that if you're going into somewhere for a week and you're going to be spending all day in the tree stand for seven days straight. Like we it, used to do it. We did, not, yeah. Not all, not seven days straight, but we used to do like three or four day blocks of like, yeah, yeah. But it's it's different. It's different if you if you you need to sit. Like everyone knows, you need to sit all day in the rut. Mm-hmm. Like when deer are rutting or even just pre rut, you're gonna get like I shot some my biggest deer maybe at like eleven a.m. or whatever, right? Like in November. That's normally uh, breakfast time at camp. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden you're getting movement and like you're paid the price because if you got up and you've been sitting there like at come 11, it's over. Like psychologically. Yeah. For me. Oh, smokes. Like <laughs> I just did uh, last night. We did a four and a half hour sit and my buddy was like, I can't do that again. Like it was like we were like, Yeah. That was enough. Like, we, like, got in. We were like, okay, we're going to go scout all day. We brought all our gear, my sticks, my saddle, his climber. And we found we found sign and spots a bit too early. So, we're just like, let's just set up. Boom. So, we're up the tree and then nothing happens. And did we see any deer that night? Zero. Nothing. <laughs> it's like four and a half hours of, like, trying to clear your mind of all this clutter. And it was awful. You know, it was honestly <laughs> awful, but like part of that suffering is what keeps me bring keeps coming. I keep coming back to you. Know? Yeah, because all it takes is that one moment, man, where it, one success moment. arrives, and it's just like, uh huh, crazy. I know, and I just can't wait for the next time. <laughs> like I just can't wait for the next time that the possibility comes in front of me. Yeah, and we hope you can't wait for the next time either. <laughs> <laughs> all you panoramic listeners, Dell, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure as always. Hey, you guys are the best. I'm a big fan. Uh, keep up the good work. Mutual fans. Did you want to plug any music while you're... No, I, it's COVID-19 time. Just uh, in the writing phase, making excuses. I'm writing songs in the tree stand. That's what I tell my wife. So <laughs> uh, hopefully she's not listening right now. And, I, I uh, doubt it. She, she does tune in from time does to she? time. Yeah. She's curious about like, cause I listen to outdoor podcasts, you know, like nonstop. And she's just like, what is going on with this? I was like, well, these Manitoba boys, you know, Ukrainians, just like you, mm-hmm. you might enjoy them. <laughs> yeah. And she does. So Chase is good at recipe. Yeah. We're going to tap go. into that here right away. We're going to get that off the record. Cause it's a bit of a secret. There you go. <laughs> like it. Thanks for listening, everyone. That was a wicked podcast. The second one in a row that I wasn't in, but I'll still do the outro free of charge. <laughs> um, it's, it's just great to have a guy that, to come back onto the podcast um, and to talk about a lot of things that we that we think about and talk about all the time around the campfire and everything else. It's it's great to have. Uh, Chase, any final thoughts about that that one? Super passionate dude, man. Um, I always love sitting down with him, having a visit. I feel like I just almost spend more time just taking it all in than I do actually uh, participating in the conversation at times. Um, so, yeah, man, just really enjoy those conversations. One thing I want to say before we leave, uh, we got fresh stock over at Harvester Outdoors. So if you're looking to, you want to get your hands on some of our hats and buffs, 
and uh, you're not too crazy about ordering online, stopping at Harvester Outdoors while you're getting some hunting stuff and uh, pick up one of our lids there. Yeah, normally I would say no free ads, but Harvester has been carrying our hats and, and we have a really good relationship with them. So yeah, check that out. Another thing to look forward to is that we got all our signature hoodies in our store. We also have hats coming down the pipe, some couple new styles. So keep going on to our website, checking it out. And another thing is that we have a new kind of, I don't even know what you call it. What do you call that, Chase? What's that? Like the the hack thing, like the new blog. Oh, the blog, yeah. Yeah, we got a blog going on our website now, and it's it's uh, it's titled uh, The Panoramic Journals, and it's purpose to share stories in a written form by uh by some outdoors folks and uh that could be anybody that could be you so if you have a good story you have a story from the past whatever it is jot it down on paper or you know whatever it may be and and let us know send an email you can send instagram facebook message whatever it may be we'd love to uh put it on our website we we like listening to stories and that's the whole part of uh, panoramic outdoors is to start telling the stories and, and bringing back that tradition not necessarily the grip and grin but to uh, you know what it's all about what happens at the end of the day but for this episode i think that's about it yeah keep your knife sharp guys keep your powder dry and shoot straight see ya